Welcome to our Ted Lasso Talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. I'm your host, Coach Castleton, and with me are Coach Bishop. What's good? And of course, our boss, Emily Chambers. I could, in fact, fight 400 ghosts. This, we're going to talk about that. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I, I, I 100% buy that. I, yeah, no. 100%. So today we're talking about um, Ted Lasso, Season 1, Episode 6, Two Aces, written by Bill Rubel and directed by Elliot Hegarty. You got any, any opening thoughts before we jump into this episode, boss? You know, I'm going to say that I love it again, because I said that I've loved all of them. I really did love it. Uh, I think that the beginning is one of the things, as I've been doing rewatches in prep for these podcasts, it strikes me that they have a lot of opening songs with a lot of opening of people's days. Mm. And I haven't had a real chance to dig into that and figure out what that's about exactly. But it is an interesting thing that they keep through most of the episodes that I've seen so far that I really like. Interesting. I really love that. And yeah, I mean, memorably, sort of Rebecca just striding in to go look at the sun and see the the, the chaos she's uh, created. I think that's that's top of episode three, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a that's an interesting insight there, boss. I um I found myself reacting right away to the term two aces. Uh, especially now going back, um, haven't paid as much attention as I have because the, he talks about Kenny Rogers being his favorite, you know, that first concert. And, uh, one of the lyrics in there that I always found particularly meaningful was that the, you can see by the look on your face, I can see you're out of aces. And, um, <laughs> that's like, I just love that line. And there's something about if you've played, if you played Hold'em in particular, when you look down and see pocket aces, all is right in the world. Like they could, there could be a nuclear bomb dropping on the next town over, and you're like, <laughs> "But I've got pocket aces." Let, let's just finish this hand quickly before. Uh... <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. Before uh, that's so, yeah. done. So yeah, I just thought that was a it. it yeah, I thought it, I thought it set the table well uh, for some of what we were going to see in this episode. I think probably Boss liked the name Two Aces because she's a fan of the Spin Doctor song Two Princes. That's what I'm guessing. Oh. You know, that's a weird thing for you to bring up right now, because I've never been particular to that song itself, but I just listened to one of my favorite podcasts where one of my favorite internet internet writers talked about how much he used to love the song. So now I am feeling an affinity for it. So I don't know. Weird kismet that we just had there. I really enjoyed it. So we opened this episode with, I think, is it Marcus Mumford covering the Verve song? Um from a chapel or with like a crazy reverb, the, uh, the, the song Sonnet by the Verve. Did you, um, did you get that? Cause it wasn't, I don't think it was them. Maybe it was, maybe it was like an acoustic version of them. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. Um, anyway, we open with this melancholy song and, um, coach, what is happening in this scene when we open? Well, we see, uh, Ted, you know, start of his day and he's looking at his ring and he's twisting it on his finger and he puts it, um, 
he puts it in the Altoids box. And, uh, you know, obviously we're seeing the, uh, sort of the, the aftermath, him, him moving into being a guy who doesn't need a wedding ring because he no longer has a, a wife. And, uh, so yeah, sort of very much put us back in the emotional place. And he's sitting on the bed, you know, where they were at one point we saw him so content as they were all laying there. And now he's sitting there, uh, alone. So just facing that new day without that, that was pretty powerful. Boss, what did you think of that? I I thought about the same. I actually thought it was interesting, but they don't give us a lot of indication of how much time has passed in between episodes. Hmm. Uh, sometimes they'll say something about last week's game or, you know, the, the last game against whoever, but there isn't a lot of, this is the day after that thing happened. And so I was wondering a little bit how much time it's been since Michelle and Henry left, if this was Ted like owning up to it right away that he's no longer married. And so he's going to take this ring off or if this was a few weeks later and he was adjusting to it. Yeah. That's a good point. Sometimes really they'll good say question. Like, we've had four losses since whatever. Yeah. Sometimes they'll, they'll give you that little, that little thing. Um, but I, the, I, I mean, saw it as the next morning, interestingly. And I don't, I like, I'm not saying that means that's right, but somehow that's how I experienced it. That, that was the next morning. You know, after that, left. that actually made sense to me. And it, would be, uh, I think that that would be in a really, really appropriate move when you have a marriage that has been facing difficulties, when you've been physically separated from your spouse for a while, and then you're like, oh, wait, no, this is actually done. That might feel like a good symbolic gesture at that point that he's going to acknowledge that his marriage is completed. That's yeah. that's exactly what I was going to say. It, it almost doesn't matter when this happens. The key element here is that he is facing it head on that this is over and change is something that's hard. Um, you know, one minute you're, you're running around playing freeze tag. And the next minute, <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. You're, you're, you're yeah. sliding, you're sliding your wedding ring off into an Altoids box. Side note, you know, I feel like the, the American landscape has changed when we are storing things in Altoids boxes, as opposed to Folgers coffee. Cans. Mm. <laughs> it's like a seismic change, you know, in who we are, really in like who that. we are as people. Um, but you know, I'm all for it. Or Ritz canisters. I'm trying to think of all the metal canisters that I've seen items stored in over the years. It feels like Altoids. Uh, well, it didn't say Altoids on the box, but it looked like a shape of an Altoids container. And I'm guessing there were a couple USB drives in there. Oh yeah, that's be- that's become the new junk drawer. All right, yeah, that right. makes sense. Exa- right, isn't that isn't that a isn't that a thing? Anyway, mm-hmm. it is interesting. He addresses this by taking off his uh, ring and boss. He heads into work and and how is this change? Uh, how's he handling this change? Is it uh, is it smooth for Ted? <laughs> oh, it's terrible. <laughs> He's doing terribly. He's frantic. He's both a frantic and moving too quickly, and also late for work, which is a thing that I've done before, so I understand. Uh, he says he's going to bury himself in work, which he doesn't like the negativity connected with that. So instead, he's going to bathe himself in work because everybody loves to take a bath. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that he that he analyzes the words that he, like even yeah. in the midst of him, him being completely lost, he um, you know he he is still he's still looking at the meaning behind the hidden meaning behind words, which well, I really appreciate. Well, actually, I took it. <clears throat> I would take it to a slightly different place. Yes, it's even though, but it's actually because of. 
Like when we're under stress, we revert to the most basic versions of ourselves, right? Like if you're yeah. a person who like, you know, loses, flies off the handle, you, you probably can manage it if you're having a good day. But if it's a bad day and that person cuts you off, well, then let's break out the expletives. And to me, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so to me, it was Ted. He He probably has a lot of this going on in his head all the time. He's mindful about which parts of it he shares and why. But now he can't filter it because that just takes too much work. So it's just all pouring out. That, that That's sort of my experience of it with them. What's the, um in general, what's the opposite of um of high, the word high? What's the opposite in your mind? It's just, it just hit me with what's the opposite of high. Well, I'm going with sober, but that should tell you something about Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> my... I was going to say low. Holy shit. <laughs> boss, boss, boss is like sleep. I don't know. I'm confused. All right, what about what's the opposite of big? Small. Small. Little, okay. Yeah. Good. Little. Oh, little. That's cute. Um, what's the opposite? <laughs> little. The opposite of big is little. Um, what is the opposite of um, lost? Found. Found. Found, right? But Ted, um, when he's talking about apologizing and coming into work, I notice he uses the term unlost. So he says, I got lost, mm. and up, unlost, and lost again. I was like, oh, unlost is such an interesting term. Yeah. It's not quite yeah. found, is it? No. 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 Well, found implies that somebody else did something to you. If you say, I was found, like it, it's almost mm. always passive voice, but he made himself unlost at some point. Right. Either that or some, he- some form of John the Baptist reference. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that could be something there. And- You're right, or lost, lost little sheep. Um, um, so, okay, so te- so he's a mess. We're basically saying Ted's a mess. I love, <laughs> I love when Nate looks at Coach Beard. And what does Coach Beard say, Coach, to, uh, to Nate? He says one word. No. <laughs> no. No, oh, no, no, sorry, before that. Ted is being a – yeah, no, no, we're going to get to that. No, because that might be the best line of the whole series to this point. But he says uh, – he just says to Nate, he's like, Michelle. He just says Michelle. Oh. You know what I mean? Hard. Because Tate's like looking at him like for an – like what? what is uh, – Tate, I said Tate. Nate is looking at Coach for an answer. He's like, what? I, what is – what is happening? Who is this creature? Right. And he just says Michelle. He's like, ah, okay. And then Ted, you know, does the very favorite bath bomb. I mean, it is just uh, – <laughs> just <laughs> – uh, Beard has a uh, favorite bath bomb, bomb preloaded. You remember which one that was, boss? It was creme brulee honey. Yep, of course. <laughs> um, makes complete sense. We talk about we could really unpack that, but um, then Ted suggests that they maybe have pet names for each other. And what do you think of that, Coach? And and I love, yeah, I love, <laughs> I love that. It's such a great. Because it's not like, no, man, we're not, we're not doing. It. It's just like, ah, I don't, you know. He's <laughs> soft selling the no, and then he walks out, and Nate says, "Is he all right?" And then Coach Beard says, "No." Yeah. <laughs> no. Such a great moment. Wait, oh. Of course, he's not okay. Right. Which I don't know. I really appreciated that part of the blatant honesty. Like you mm-hmm. would expect that from Coach Beard and from Ted, but I really like that. There was no pretense that Ted wasn't completely losing it because his marriage had fallen apart. Like, sometimes you need to be openly broken and openly not okay. And everybody needs to say, like, it's fine if you're not doing okay right now. You should not be expected to be. 
Absolutely. Where have we gone in this world where you might be expected to be fine the morning after your marriage dissolves? You know what I mean? I'm like, this is what's so nice about this. So honest. Um, it's, it's no, he's not, he's not all right, nor should he be. Um, but he's here and he's plugging away and, and, you know, he's, he's returning to what makes him comfortable and what he, what he understands and what he knows. And he's ready to dip, you know, dive right in and, and, and get to it. But yeah, he's not going to be okay. And I, I really, I loved that as a, as a way to start this episode. Um, I, by the way, I was going to say before we started, this episode was a little bit of a structural shift, I think, in terms of types of episodes hmm. that we've had. Um, we've been, we've put a few episodes together as like sort of like a little vignettes that sort of work together. But I think this one is a little bit of a structural change, but we'll talk about that as we get going. So we open up in the press room and it's the first time, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the first time we've seen. Ted back in the room himself since the fizzy water episode. Isn't that right? I think so. I think that's right. We've been in there with Jamie and his, uh, his, uh, tattoo, his arm tattoo, but, right, uh, yeah. but yeah. I don't think, I don't think we've seen Ted face in the press in there. No. What is his, uh, arm tattoo say, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's not sell the man short. It is Chinese for arm. Thank you. That is, that's very cultured, yeah. Um, yeah. It probably doesn't say wanker in Chinese either. Um, okay, right. so, uh, so I like the fact that Ted, we can tell that Ted has, um, you know, knows the reporter's names now. And we see uh, Jamie sneak in and, um, you know, sort of sort of hide in the back. And the, and the big thing here is, um, you know, it's kind of funny the. The little now that we've had that oh, we had that great episode Trent Krim the Independent when when I love when when um, Ted calls Trent Krim he's like Trent Krim the Independent and Trent Krim a creature of amazing habit gets up and is like Trent Krim the Independent you know like <laughs> <laughs> and there's a little thing that goes but there's a little there's a little flash of recognition between the two of them that they each have a job to do I just really like that and um, you know I, uh, that was a I really that was a memorable episode. I really just enjoyed the uh the Trent Krim episode. But the the key takeaway is um are you still going to bench Jamie? And and boss, how does Ted uh you know field that question? He's not he's not avoiding the questions by the way. He is fielding them. And the the big thing everybody wants to know is like are you going to keep your best player on the bench? He said Jamie knows what we need from him and basically left it at that. That this wasn't a matter of Ted making a decision, not even making the decision based on the entirety of the game, but just saying like in this position, Jamie isn't doing what he needs to do to perform. He knows what he needs to. And it's not throwing Jamie under the bus. It's just acknowledging that the issue at hand isn't that Jamie isn't physically up for playing. It's that there's something else missing. Right. And this is just a lot of window dressing to set up the, the, you know where it, this just gives you the the pieces on the chessboard. Where where does Ted stand? Where does Jamie stand? Um, it's very clear visually that Jamie hears Ted say that, and that he, uh, you know, he knows what Ted theoretically he he hears it from Ted's mouth. Um, then we're out in the hallway with Rebecca and Higgins. Uh, oh no, sorry, this is before Higgins. This is uh, we're out in the hallway with Rebecca 
we get the joke about the master stroke. Do you remember that? I don't think we're allowed to talk like that at work anymore, which <laughs> as a as a consultant, I have to say, oh, who is writing these gems? I just I I cackled laughing when he said that. And it was just so genuine. It was it was right up there. I'm I'm loath to put anything up there with the unpack that joke because that's an all-time favorite of mine, but this was right up there. That is hysterically funny. Master stroke. I don't think we're allowed to talk like that at work anymore. He Ted finds out that Man City might be terminating Jamie's loan. And and boss, do you remember what uh, Ted says to that? They're gonna take his house. It's a it's such like a throwback <laughs> to the you're gonna meet God? Yes. That's exactly what I thought. Right, exact right. same like like yeah. uh, sort of flavor of joke. Um but no, he's on loan from Man City, and if 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 um AFC Richmond is going to bench him, then they're going to want him back. Um, and Ted does this thing where he, <laughs> you know, you ever hear the, the line, um, if you how do you make God laugh? Have you ever heard this? Do you know this joke? Yeah, make plans. Yeah, tell him your plans. Yeah. And um, so Ted's plan is for his plan to work. <laughs> my plan is for my plan to work. But you know what they say about the best laid plans. I'm like laughing the whole time. Like he's he's couching the, you know, he's like, you know, I hope this works, but you know, my, that's my plan. My plan is that the plan's going to work, but you know, even the best laid plans are don't work. And it was really funny. There's a lot. Then he, then we do the thing about semantic satiation. Does that ever happen to you guys at all? Yes, all the time. It, especially, it, uh, so I might have mentioned before, but in the real world, uh, my day job, I'm an accountant, and one of the things I have to say and write up to 10 times a day is reconciliation. And not only do I misspell it every single time, but I also do this semantic satiation where it stops meaning anything like once a week. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. I didn't know it had a name. So that actually was a piece of education from this show. I went, oh, yeah, okay. That's that's an actual thing that I thought only happened in my crazy (laughs) head. Uh, So that was... Com- oddly comforting. Thank you for that. Yeah. So um, I like when when she said it's like Rebecca's walking him through it, and she's like flan. She's like you know like flan. And he's like I don't dig on flan. I'm like I I might get that T-shirt. I don't dig on flan. Uh, anyway, so now we are in the in the um we're we're in the the uh, office with the coaches, and um, we start talking about a certain player who had arrived from Mexico and was hurt instantly. Um, what is the name of that player, boss? Danny Rojas. Rojas! <laughs> so Danny Rojas is on the team. But no, is he any good? We don't know. He got hurt right away. Um, and and Coach Beard informs uh, Coach Lasso that Jamie is, quote-unquote, hurt. And now, Coach, we get the magical... Uh, sort of homage to Allen Iverson. You want to walk us through what that was and and what they're trying to accomplish with this scene? Absolutely. Well, one of the things what it's referencing for those who aren't familiar, for any sports fans, it's probably quite familiar. Is that uh, famously Allen Iverson gave an uh, was in a press conference and was asked about missing practice and uh, in frustration he was like, "What are we talking about? Practice? We talking about practice? Not a game." Practice. His point being, who cares about practice? Essentially, I'm Allen Iverson. 
you know, I worry about things that matter. Right. Like the games. This now what I loved about this scene is is it gets completely flipped, right? By Jamie sitting out of practice and the way that we have um the way we have Ted come out and go after him with that speech, all of a sudden it means what I actually feel. I always had a very odd relationship with the Allen Iverson clip. I know that it's supposed to be funny. I get why it's funny. It burns me up. Maybe it's the coach in me because I'm yeah. like, no, no, practice. Oh, practice matters, baby. <laughs> There's a lot going on in practice. If you don't understand that, then you didn't understand a lot. Right. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I just found it to be, I found it to be a lot of fun and a way of this show saying again, the way we used to, the way we used to look at these things or the way we've been looking at these things, we're going to take a look at them from a slightly different angle. And when, and when we get Ted going off and saying that's the only, place we get to control anything in a game it's us 11 versus their 11 but this is this is our space um there is something sacred about it and you can build a lot in practice and i just i really dug that moment and i thought it was a brilliant space and place for him to start showing the team that yeah i come through and i say things you find odd and funny and probably jamie's not the only one who threw away his book but I might just be on to something here. And uh, yeah, I just thought, I thought the scene was great down to the camera angles, which got crazier and crazier and tilted and more extreme um, because as this is all going on, let's face it, we are you know dealing with a Ted who's just holding on by a thread anyway. Um, but I thought even in that he was still making a ton of sense. Yes. I love so much that you brought up the camera angles. Cause that's one of the first things that I noticed in the scene. And I thought it was so interesting that it seems like as much as I can remember the only time that they had an off center angle like that. And it was so perfect Mm -hmm. for the scene. I also didn't Mm -hmm. know about Alan Iverson uh, because I was a wrestling fan. So I I didn't know that, but I, I love (laughs) it so much more. Um, The first thing that the scene made me think of uh, coach Castleton, you've mentioned before that you used to have some Jamie in you when you were younger I was never good enough at sports that I could be a Jamie. But um, when I did stats for my high school wrestling team, we had a kid who had, he was kind of Jamie-ish, especially as he got older. He was legitimately phenomenal. Like one of the best wrestlers the state's ever seen. His dad was a wrestler and then a wrestling coach and his older brother was a wrestler. So he'd been wrestling like basically his entire life. Uh, The joke was, he didn't learn how to crawl. He just started in the down position. Which <laughs> That's think, funny. That is really funny. <laughs> Only wrestlers are actually going to laugh at Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> but his senior year, he start, stopped making weight and started skipping out on practices because it, he had won state freshman, sophomore, and junior year undefeated. Mm. Like, he was so good, he didn't need to show up for practice anymore. And he mm. was still going to win regardless of how he did and it was causing a lot of problems for the teams and before one of the matches that I was home for because I was a year older so I was in college but one of the matches I was home for uh somebody from the paper was interviewing the wrestling coach who himself had been a great wrestler and was a really respected wrestling coach and they said you know this wrestler has been having some issues what do you plan what moves do you want to work on during practice next week when you're working with them and the coach's response was, there's nothing I could teach that young man about wrestling, which was such a perfect response because it fully acknowledges that he had this skill level that 
the coach couldn't teach him anything. Like he couldn't tell him walk to his head or whatever. Like the guy already knew it, but what he needed to teach him was about respecting the team and respecting himself and respecting the sport enough to show up and do the work. And that was like everything that I heard in Ted's response to Jamie on this, like rightfully angry at him that he is going to disrespect Ted and the team and himself by pulling this bullshit where he's going to say that he's too hurt for practice. I also love the beauty of of the fact that he was hurt, like off of what you're saying. And it actually made it more pathetic because he is hurt. His feelings are hurt because he was taken out of the game because he was not doing things the right way. That's why he's, he actually is that like, sometimes we lie and we still tell the truth. We still tell on ourselves and he is skipping practice because he's hurt. And I thought it was like, so pathetic. And I think there was a context in which the other guys could kind of like see it and sort of like not recognize the pathetic part of it. Like think like, oh, Jamie got away with not practicing. But but I think what Ted did was shine a light on everybody in here gets told what they've done right and what they've done wrong. You you personally told a man that his mother should have fucked some other soccer player. Yes. Right? Uh. But so, suddenly now, because you got called out, because you got taken out of the game, now it's, you know, everything must halt and your hurt feelings are everything. You're you're a child. I yeah. mean, this was, you know, to me, this was a, a, a direct version of Roy sipping on that vanilla vodka. I mean, it was just like, you are a child. You are yeah. a child and I'm talking to you like you're a child. Now get out there and set up the cones. I just thought it was, yeah, I thought that was spot on too. Yeah, it was. And I, the last thing that I'll say about this, because I could probably go on for another 20 minutes, is that <laughs> I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that his feelings were hurt. And so that's why he couldn't practice. Because a big part of self-care that people talk about now is if you need a mental health day, take a mental health day. But also mm. maybe tell your employer, I need a mental health day. Like if you're, right. if you're calling in sick constantly and what you mean is I need to de-stress because I've worked too many hours this week. Right. Those two things are very different and Ted would have responded very differently to them. I think you're, you're spot on. And I think even that piece and there's more with Ted and I, yeah, I, I, I could get us stuck here, but I think there's something too about us being the kind of place um, in the world or in America or wherever your locker room is where someone can say that and, you know, not going to have this become my therapy session, but, you know, been a long year. One of the reasons I love Ted Lasso is like, I feel like it was sent for me <laughs> yeah. to, to, to help me out in, in, in the midst of all this. And there's a level on which I feel like if I had told there's some there's some work I needed to get done that got pushed back because I was just having a really hard time. And if I'd had a heart attack, I wouldn't feel like no one would understand that I had a heart attack. But because the problem was between my ears or in my soul or whatever you want to call it, then suddenly I felt like I had to come up with explanations and figure it out and make up for lost time. But like, yeah, that's a, that's a real thing. Now I think what Jamie is going through is, you know, get yourself together. I, I, you know, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the kind of mental health day or strain that, that you're referencing that is important, but I do think that's an interesting connection to make. And if he, if he had been mature enough to say, Hey, that hurt my feelings, he really could have had an amazing conversation with yep. Ted here. They really could have gotten to it, but instead it's, you know, I'm not practicing. It's only practice Ted. Yeah. And, and even that was like, 
not even coach or you know what I mean, but like he's just so disrespectful there. Um, he's like a petulant child. When they um, when they first moved in, um, how many uh, Allen Iverson posters did they put up on the wall? Uh, that would be zero. <laughs> how many How many Terrell Owens posters did they put up on the wall? Uh, I could go back, but I'm thinking also zero. So, do you remember when To melted down, Coach? What were we saying about him? What didn't he have that was really important? We always say this about people. What didn't he have? Oh yes. Oh, yes. A man needs his boys. Write this down, folks. If you get nothing out of this, <laughs> if you walk away from this, this, if I have something to offer the world, it is this phrase. A man needs his boys. And you have to have people in your life who, when it's all said and done, who can pick up a phone or step up into your face or whatever it is and say, what are you doing? What knock it are off. you knock it off? And I mean, right now, and they can't be somebody who depends on you for their livelihood or whatever. Like they have, you have to have it where it's that person is on footing because you accept it that way or otherwise that they can say to you, knock it off. And Jamie doesn't have that. Jamie just doesn't have who is, who is friends on this team? Who Isaac really like that's not a friendship. Not oh, really. We find we find out the the level of that friendship very soon. But not having boys, how, what is it? What what does it look like? We just use that term in our little peer group, um, um, boss. But what does it look like for women? What's the what's the the woman version of like you know somebody without boys? Well, I mean, I still got a few boys. I don't think it's exactly the same way. But and also, I don't know actually if they would be the ones to call me on stuff. I believe in my friend group, the um, uh, lady version is, oh, honey, like whatever's mm-hmm. going on. Oh, honey. No, we need we, we can't right. do that. And Interesting. I'm not I'm not going to jump ahead right now, even though I really want to. But I feel like there are examples of this that come up later that I'm going to dig into a lot. We've got a few. Oh, honey. moments. Yeah, I think it's important. And I like how you brought up, you know, a lot of a lot of young men have um, Jamie Tart in them. And, um, I, uh, I think you, as you get older, you know, you sort of grow out of those things, but it's moments of, it's moments where you challenge that give you some insight into you being a Jamie Tart. I remember, uh, you know, I was pretty decent at wrestling. I wasn't like great, but I had like a, I don't know, like a 37 and three record. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. like a, like a solid, that, I, was a, I was a solid B, B plus, you know, that's a bit better than decent. That's pretty good. Yeah, well, the league I was in wasn't that hot. It was basically oh, me okay. and, you know, people stumbling onto the, onto the mat and falling down. <laughs> All right. That's Everybody laid down for me. Um, no, it was, it was not a fantastic league. So that helped, but, um, I was a takedown guy. Um, and I remember just being really confident, like, you know, you're going to, if I'm going to take if I'm decide to take you down, you're going to go down. And I remember uh, one of the keys, and you know, this from being in the wrestling world, if you can suck enough weight to get down into a couple weight classes below where you sort of should be, mm-hmm. then you're sort of a monster in that weight class. You're like Jean-Claude Van Damme at like, you know, 132 or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can tear it up. And, um, so I was like stocky and, um, and strong. And I remember it just sort of had my way in that weight class. And then one day, one of my three losses was, this is what helped, helped knock a lot of the Jamie Tart out of me. I found a bigger monster in this, <laughs> in this weight class. 
And, and and we're talking about keys to take away. There's always a bigger monster. Yeah, absolutely. There's always someone better than you. And th- I've I've ran into a a murderer who who was who was pretending to be a wrestler. Um. Oh my god! And I got quick pinned, which had never happened before and never happened since. But do you know what that is? Do you know what a quick pin is, boss? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if we ever had a term for it in scoring, but I assume it's one that's like under 30 seconds. It was under a minute. Yeah, under it was like minute, 47 yeah. seconds. He had like, so I went to take him down and he sprawled and just like, oh my God, he was like a piece of iron. And uh, it was like me versus Drago. He's a piece of iron, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't believe the strength of this guy. And I was kind of a, just a beast. You know, I was, I was strong. And, um, oh my God, this guy, like he was unbelievable. I was on my back and I was bridging and I mean, it was crazy. And in 47 seconds, he put me down and, um, man, I, I, after that, I felt so bad. So I had like, I don't know, 16, 18 quick pins, you know, that I won. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was so wrecked by, by being humiliated and insulted that way. And then, but that was the first time I thought about all, all the dudes I had done that to. Because it's just like so, you know. It's it, this is not um, this is not uh, eleven on eleven. This is you know, two men enter, you shake hands, and then you you go at it. And it's it's uh, coach. You by the way, you would have been a man. I would have loved to wrestle coach in his prime. I'll tell you. Well, well, it's funny you say that because what you talked about sucking weight. I kind of naturally that was my build at that age, or when I was you know, and I remember I was in seventh grade. I my first year at private school. So all of a sudden there's this wrestling thing we've got to do as part of gym and in intramurals. I pinned a guy in seven seconds, Whoa. but it was because the weight class I was in, like the guys I hung out with and like played football with or whatever, all weighed a lot more than me. I just naturally had that, like that build. And I remember like laughing with my friend, like as you were just telling that, I was like, Oh man, like I remember specifically like going back into the locker room and laughing that oh yeah, seven seconds. You know that that that's a record that'll never get broken, and we were having a great time with it. And I didn't really think about the fact that somewhere in that locker room was a guy who had just gotten pinned in seven seconds, and that's what he was dealing with. To uh, quote Roy, so yeah, it's interesting looking back that you know when we were the Jamie, like there's 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 shrapnel that flies. It is. Listen, you just so hard when you're that age, you just don't know. Well, I always tried to be whatever, but I was a dominant athlete in like, you know, and you get up as you get older and older, you, there, you find more people. The higher you go, the harder the wind blows. But just growing up, if I was second grade, third grade, I was always good at whatever. And I never had an understanding or any care about who wasn't good. It was just, oh, I get to be good at this. I'm naturally gifted at these things. And then you become a father and then you have some children that aren't. It's so funny. I was uh, telling one of my friends the other day, my kids don't give a rat's ass about sports <laughs> like i have four kids and i was telling like we've put them in different sports over the years and um and they they're gonna hear this at some point when they get older i'm sure and they will laugh because not only are they like not the best on the team um they're always the worst on the team like and it's not close <laughs> They're always like half the time they're completely checked out. Like if it's a soccer game, they'll be like all you know, little kids bunching up on the ball, and then my son <laughs> picking dandelions on the other side of the field and looking at me like, "Why am I out here?" And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like just ru- like 
So I'll be satisfied. I'm like, oh, oh, well, he ran for 50 meters. Like that's that's. So I was telling I was telling our friend, I was like, I have never I have a we have a barn and in the barn I have all my sports equipment. I have skis. I have lacrosse sticks. I have full hockey pads for goalies. I have um, you name it, like like every tennis racket, squash. I mean, you name it, every single sport I played. And this thing is just collecting dust, and I still <laughs> haven't come to terms with the fact that, like, these are these are this is iconography from my past, and has nothing to do with my children. And not only have I never seen them be be good at sports, any of them, two boys, two girls, I have never seen any of them to this date make a good play. <laughs> Right. So it's wow. like a, so, right. And so, but, but listen, then, but here's another th- little ad- added element to this. My son was, comes home. He's, he's like, listen, dad, my limbs don't work the way yours do. I see that like you have like a dexterity to your limbs. And he's like, I'm not sure where my limbs are like 30% of the time. And so he's like, it's kind of hard for me when we're playing st- sports to, like factor in like, oh, someone's going to pass me a basketball. I got to be ready for that. He's like, my brain doesn't process fast enough. And he tells me about this kid that he plays, um, you know, in, in, in their in their PE class. And the kid always is like the best, the best at sports. And when they play indoor football in the gym, which is like just like a tag football, touch football kind of thing. This kid always like lobs the ball to my son in the end zone. And it hits my son in the hands and he drops it every single time. And he tells me the kid is always like, shake it off, man. It's totally cool. And he still throws it to the end zone. Like this has been like two or three years of this where he keeps trying to get the <laughs> the ball to my son in the end zone. You know, other kids too, oh, but he gosh. doesn't exclude my son. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a letter to his parents and I was like, I was your son. I was that good at sports, except for me back then, I would only throw it to the kids that were good. You know, I would never like, I would never, when we we're picking teams, I was such a, you know, little bastard. I would always pick, you know, pick the best ones. And I would never think like, oh, this kid always gets picked last. I'm going to pick them for, you know what I mean? All these little dyma- dynamics I wasn't aware of. And then you see other kids. So I wrote this, this kid's parents a, a note, an email saying like, he's just a great kid and you're doing a great job because it's just nice to see you know, the world moving in that direction. But all of these things, I'm bringing up a lot of personal stories, but all of these things are how you get past being a Jamie Tart, if that makes any sense. No, that that makes perfect. Number one, one of these days, we're going to do one of these recordings that won't be released where we just get drunk and talk about wrestling stories. But Great. I, I have will, so many. <laughs> what I will say is that um, it is... Surprising to me that you didn't consider when you were a Jamie Tart about the other kid, uh, because the Jamie Tart on my team and his brother, when they were wrestling together, and a few of their close friends on the team, um, they liked pinning kids the most on senior night because they knew that their parents were watching. So they were aware of it. It was just in the opposite direction where they wanted to do the humiliation as much as possible. So good on you for that, at least, that you weren't yeah. trying to embarrass your opponent in front of his family. Well, listen, I went, I was wow. in a, I'm going to say one. No, I would never do that. That's, that's horrible. Um, but I did, <laughs> but I did, like, there was a, a last, last wrestling story I'll tell. Um, I was in a, um, um, I was in a fraternity in college. 
I, I ended up going to a college that had fraternities. I didn't even know about them. And as a writer, I was like, all right, I'm going to go through this process. And I went through the process of pledging just to write about it. And then when we were getting brothered in, I remember just like walking out and going home. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. I don't, I just, I was just here for the story guys. And I remember they all came down and were like, come on, man, just join. I was like, all right, so fine. So I ended up joining this fraternity. And in this fraternity, there was a guy a couple years older than me. And he was just a P he was just muscle. He was one of those guys that spends his whole college career in the gym and like big round muscles, you know, like a, like a stretch Armstrong, like mm-hmm. ridiculous he man level muscles. But it was all like marshmallow muscles. Coach, hmm. do you know people like this where it's like there's not there's nothing to them? I, I don't know how to describe it. Like they're almost like they're almost more like bloated or swollen than like truly muscle. Yeah. Or or like he was definitely strong because he lifted weights and everything, but like he would get hammered. He was the nicest guy, by the way, the absolute nicest guy. But he couldn't understand how he was probably a foot taller than me, at least a foot, maybe a full foot taller than me. And he would get hammered and he would start screaming over the bar room for my name. <laughs> like, that he, <laughs> because he could, somewhere in his ego, he couldn't understand how he couldn't just, just swap me like a fly. I was just a little pipsqueak. And um, he would push through the crowd drunk, you know, hammered. And um, he had no sense about where his, like, you know, about, about momentum or anything like that. <laughs> so he would come at me and he would be on his back in like the d- filthy barroom sludge. <laughs> like, oh like God. I'm talking, like I'm talking two seconds. You know what I mean? Like, like right. instant takedown instant, like our fireman's carry, or I would take him, pick him up on a fireman's carry and throw him into a beer pong table. And the whole thing would go crashing down. And and he would just get up like stunned, like amazed, like yeah. how how is this possible? And he, and that's uh, only because if you if you uh, you know if you know wrestling at all, like this is this stuff is like it's page one to use right. someone's momentum against it. But anyway, uh, he's toddler strong. Yeah, it's so just, much mass, no idea what to do with it. Yes, exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes. So all right, getting back, this is a Ted Lasso podcast, right? <laughs> 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 so Jamie's setting up cones. Um, Ted says to him as we close, we close up the whole thing that um, you got to go set up cones. And Jamie tells Colin to do it. Okay. And do you remember who it was that says uh, that he that call, like who comes to, to Colin's defense? Do you remember, Coach Isaac? I, I, Isaac steps up and says, I, "I think I think he told you to do it. Or I think Coach told you to do it. However he phrased it, but he 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 makes it clear. Like don't even try that." And, right. Yeah. And he still does it. He still says Colin Colin to do it. And then boss, what does Colin say? Colin said no, he said you mate. It's not going to do it. He says you're a second teamer. You're a second teamer. I forgot about that part. Yeah. And if you look throughout the speech, they cut really quickly during the speech. I don't know if you guys noticed this to mm-hmm. Beard looking on from yes. the glass. Yes. Do you remember that? What did you see, yeah. boss? He was uh smiling basically. Super yeah. approved. Super happy. And then Ted had finally stepped up. Exactly, and then Coach, did you see Nate smiling afterwards? Yes, he 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 very much enjoyed that, which we'll get into in a moment. But yeah, Nate definitely. Um, I didn't think I don't know that Nate knew that was possible. I, I think Nate is is being like shown a whole new world where anybody can be told about themselves, including the the great Jamie Tart, and it's pretty exciting to him. Well, it, it, as a as a person, this is the moment where Jamie has a chance to go one way or the other. But somebody who loves watching this is Roy Kent, Captain 
of AFC Richmond. <laughs> oh my God, he's eating this with a goddamn spoon. He comes up and sits next. Oh, he's just oh, he's sitting next to Jamie, but we we rack focus and we see him sitting there just taking the whole thing. And he goes, "Oh, that's got a sting." <laughs> and then he says, "Cheers." Oh. He's like, "All right, cheers." Oh God, God. Now we are. Go ahead. What are you going to say, Coach? Sorry, I was just going to say the power of language because cheers was so much worse. If he had just gone ahead and said, fuck you, man, like it would have yeah. been less disrespectful and less infuriating than cheer. Like cheer, it's so dismissive. Like you, oh. it's like, I think you're a joke and now everyone does. Good day, sir. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, no, I thought that was an amazing, uh, amazingly fun moment for everybody. It's, it's so much worse than he said cheers. I have a friend who, um, used to get a, a bit of road rage when people would cut her off or whatever else. And she would do all of the hand gestures and it never felt satisfying enough. So now as she's passing the shitty driver, who's just being an asshole, she gives them a thumbs up and oh, they get yes. enraged. They hate yes. it so much. It's yes. great. I have stolen that move. It's good. No, no, that's good. That's literally my version of, of, of talking nicely to someone flaming you on a, on a website. That's exactly what it, <laughs> Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, that's I, that's ex- literally what I do. It's almost Ted Lasso-ish. It's like, hey, I guess you didn't really like what I wrote about that. <laughs> do you want to take a minute and talk about it? And they just run. They run to, away. You're starting to sound a little bit like the DNA strand from Jurassic Park, though. Oh, a, yeah, a bit no, Ted Lasso-y and a bit DNA. <laughs> oh, you're right. I think you're right. Um, okay, so, oh, that's got to sting. Cheers. We see the no schadenfreude zone. Nine schadenfreude, which made me laugh out loud. I don't know if that, like, that joke probably landed for about seven people, but. No, no, that was good. Nine schadenfreude was fantastic. That was great. I loved it. Um, And then we, now the whole, I feel like the whole series changes. Um, I feel like they turn a light on. You know, it's just real dark. He just lost Michelle. It's been heavy. There's a lot of like stuff going on that's just like, oh, God. And right when we need to pick me up, enter Danny Rojas, played by Cristo Fernandez. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> here's the setup. The setup is a player away from home for the first time. And we saw what what effect did that have on Sam, Coach? What's What effect did that have on the player, Sam Obisanya, being away from home? Sam, Sam seriously struggled and continued to struggle until we got some birthday and some snacks from home and, and, and really helped to bring him into the thing. But it's, it, it's hard being away from home. And we watched Ted struggle with being away from home. So, right. uh, yeah, it, it's no easy thing. It's no easy thing. And then boss, how did, uh, Ted, we literally have the bubble outside Ted's mouth. Um, you know, we got to be careful. It's hard to be away from home for the first time, whatever. And then. <laughs> How does Danny Rojas take to that? Uh, he literally comes running out from onto the pitch, shouting, Danny Rojas, Rojas, Danny Rojas, Rojas, and then <laughs> running around in a circle by himself before coming over to say hello to the coaches and letting them know, whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. It's so I mean, far from being it, – it's so the opposite – of Jamie Tart, you couldn't have written it better. I mean, they couldn't have written it better as part. No, no, no. It's 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 polar opposites. And I and they actually call this out because I'm sure someone in the writer room was like, "What could we? How can we make a human the human equivalent of like a golden retriever puppy?" Like, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. what would that look like? Because he comes out, runs in a circle, and he does it. If you watch it, it's like a weird shuffling run. It's not like right. I don't even know what it is. It's like a he doesn't ever cross his feet over in the circle, and he's like, "Hello, coaches." I'm like, "Oh my god!" Well, something that stood out for me on the spiritual level of this show is you know the whole idea of being like a child, which shows up different places, and you know Christianity, Buddhism, like there's that idea of like having that like fresh newness about us, and you know born again, all that stuff. And with Danny and with Jamie, we see the different, a key distinction that I always feel doesn't get discussed enough, which is the difference between childlike and childish. Danny is childlike and it's beautiful. And Jamie is childish and it's sickening. And I think that's like a key piece as we look at these two characters and the, and the difference between them. Yeah. Like a little kid does that. Little kids have so much energy. A little, you're walking somewhere with a little kid. The little kid runs to the place where you're going and then runs back to you to tell you what Mm -hmm. it was like to run there and then runs (laughs) back there. Right. Like it's like unbelievable. Like, like, what is this? I remember as a little kid running because I could, because I was outside and it was more fun than walking. And now, you know, running is what I do so I don't die soon. But like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. What are we talking about right now? So anyway, I just think that's a big, a big piece of what Danny brings in. He's like truly childlike. Yeah. I, I mean, he was galloping was what he was doing. Yes. Was like a full that's that's right. the word. Galloping. That's Great. right. He's that's galloping. A word. Galloping. Okay. Gal- gallop- I thought gallop- I was thinking. Galloping. Gallop- gallop- Gal- galloping. 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 Oh, great. Now I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was thinking that Danny Rojas feels like – to me, I was like, what does he embody? And um, I was thinking like so- soccer was my best sport, um, and, and that was the only one where I like could ever sort of tickle an idea like, oh, I could do something in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking like if you could take me in my 40-something body and put me back, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Knowing what I know now mm-hmm. and be like, you have one shot. Here's your – you go back a perfect body. And you go play soccer. He runs onto the field like I would if you could send me back. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah. it's so yeah. amazing. like they say youth is wasted on the young, but Danny mm-hmm. Rojas is like, you know, don't let the wisdom of age be wasted on you or whatever the hell. Right, 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 right. You know yeah. what I mean? He really right. he appreciates every fiber of his body, everything it can do. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. So, Cristo Fernandez, what a oh. Christo Fernandez, he just kills it. Absolutely kills it. He is so great. Um, he goes and high fives everyone. And Jamie astutely points out that Chipper Dickheads like that <laughs> can never back it up on the pitch. And then we see that Danny Rojas is sick. And I will say this. Here's the one thing that's dangerous about Christo Fernandez being mm-hmm. on this show. Dude can play soccer. Yeah. So like you, when yeah. you see it, the the killer is that now it's tough to see Jamie and Roy and everybody else. Sam can play too. Um, hmm. um, yeah, but but like if you if you're tuned into watching that, like Christo's got the moves. Like he know he he's got sweet feet, man. And so like every motion of his body when he kick his kicking balls and stuff, it looks right. Interesting. And then that makes other things stand out a little bit more for me, which is like a real danger of having somebody that good at soccer. But um oh, wow. Roy does not run as well as his body double does. I love Roy. I love Roy Kent. Uh, I love Brett Goldstein, but it is something I noticed later on in other episodes where I'm like, oh, okay. You you were a theater kid, Brett. It's all right. Got yes. it. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the danger of that. Um, 
I was watching um, uh, Heat a couple weeks ago. You guys remember Heat? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Val, mm-hmm. Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Man, he's a good runner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Danny Rojas is sick. He is sick at soccer. He's so good. And he and the first thing he says is, beautiful cross, Sam. Like he, he goes out and says, beautiful cross to Sam. And you're like, oh, my God. And then he's like, football is life. And can, he's, can, you know, I'm going to stop yeah, your yeah, beautiful ahead. cross Sam uh, quickly. And I think, you know, I'm glad you noted it. And because what happens is if you get it right as a team leader, right? I mean, people say things like make the people around them better. And that all gets, you know, used and abused and talked about. But do you like just playing that way? Like how much better is Sam going to be the next time he's got to make that cross? That's the exact thing he got wrong with Jamie. Yep. That Jamie berated him about and look at look at this amazing this guy he's been playing with for exactly 17 seconds they figured it out and there's something to be said about like the like part of why the team is tragic jamie is because of you you are making this team tragic with the way you're behaving yep there is there's a thing here too that i that i would like to point out which is your first impression on a team in any sport is a big deal. And I don't know, can you, can you guys speak to this? Do you have moments in your life where it was your first time doing something? It it doesn't have to be soccer. I know the one that jumps out at me is my, my sister was in the Peace Corps and I, uh, she was in the South Pacific and I went to visit her and uh, there were some workmen at the school she was working at and they invited me to play soccer and, and they were just really nice. And I got there and, and they didn't know I'd played soccer my whole life. They had no idea. And these guys play every day. And there was this one guy who lined up, I was playing like right wing at the time. And uh, this guy lined up a- across from me and he just basically, they, <laughs> they are like, they, they kick the ball. We start the game. They kick it right over to me. And they're like, okay, white boy. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> all right. And the, the guy across from me, he did something tragic, which was just showed me no respect. He was so rude. Like how he came to, to defend me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was just like he he assumed right away like this guy sucks. And so I megged it. Do you know what megging is? It's not meg, it's like you go right through his legs, like you just beat oh. him right, but but you go through his oh. legs, which right. is insult which is insulting in the other direction, you know? Right. So I meg megged him, went down and crossed it right away, and one of the guys on my team headed it and, and it didn't go in. But right. like I had established at that point. Yeah, don't don't treat me like that. You know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like a don't treat me like that. And when Danny Rojas comes out, God, he's so vibrant and happy, and he's just legitimately good at at soccer. And it really, you see, like the guys that were sitting next to or standing next to Jamie, they immediately sort of peel off just to go celebrate with him because he had that dynamic sort of energy. Now, have you guys had moments like that, Coach? Do you have anything like that in sport? I'm thinking from another angle of it, um, <clears throat> watching there was a kid who did, hadn't really played uh, football at all and, you know, you know, comes out with his head full of red hair and he's kind of quiet and he's off to himself or whatever. And we hand him the ball and it's truly like that phrase people use, like shot out of a cannon. Mm-hmm. And he was, it was, it's a great coaching moment or at least a moment that I always enjoy when somebody on the field does something impressive and the coaches all just look at each other. Like no one says, Oh my God, that was amazing. Or like, Hey, we've got to figure out how to get that kid the ball. It's just like, we all saw it. Don't move too much. Don't say anything. 
<laughs> like that. Yeah, and don't I, jinx it. Don't, don't jinx it. Yeah, don't like that. And yeah. the beauty for a, a whole season with this kid was lining him up at running back and having him be ignored with his freckly face. And then having him take off like a rocket past somebody's defense and then watching them for the rest of the game go, watch that kid. Watch the redhead. Watch all <laughs> it only It only takes once. It only takes once. So, yeah. So, anyway, those are always fun for me where you get to uh, watch somebody be underestimated that way. And I, I love coaching that kid. I, lo- I, I, I would love for my team to be that team. I love for the other team to look across the field and think, like you said, we're just going to take the ball from them and then to turn to my kids and go, we're going to make them, you know, like not that language, yeah. but no, 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 right. Exa- exactly. Right. And, and, but then it's after like, like after that, when I went and played with those guys, it was like, they couldn't have been nicer. They're right. so, right. you know, it was odd, but like right away, they're like, you know, it's just sort of like establish, you establish these, you know, whatever the baseline is, this redhead kid, like, like, Oh, that kid's a rocket. Okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Watch the red kid. I just love that moment. It was so on their radar after the after the first time. Yeah. Do you have a, Do you have anything like that, uh, boss? Um. So it's not sports based because uh, I was never really good enough to do anything like that. But what I thought of with the way that Danny comes out, um, I was in a friend's wedding a few years back, and another one of our mutual friends decided we were going to do a flash mob at the reception. Because this was back when flash mobs were huge. And I was not interested in doing a flash mob. That's not, that's a real joining in type of thing that I'm not interested in. And I knew that the husband in this couple was not going to enjoy it either. But I knew that my friend was going to love the shit out of it. So uh, my boyfriend caught me practicing the dance that we were going to have to do in the flash mob, like fully out, giving 110% smiling the whole time, like leaning hard into the dance. And he said, what are you doing? Because this is not, <laughs> not, not how I act. What's, what's, what's going on right now? And I said, well, I'm learning the dance. And he said, but why are you doing it like that? And I said, because otherwise I'm going to look stupid. Mm. Because if you're doing a dance like that yep. and you're not super into it, yep. you're going to look dumb. Like if Danny had come out and he was like, oh, hey, guys, how's it going? Mm-hmm. He could have gotten away with being cool, but coming out and meaning it the way that he meant it. Mm-hmm. Like only Jamie Tart is not going to be on his side and everybody else on the team is going to love him right away. It's great. Right. It's great writing. And how did the flash mob go, by the way? Um, there's actually a picture that I have on my mantle of my friend loving the shit out of it, her husband being upset, me dancing, and my boyfriend seated because he was also at the head table with me, laughing his ass off. Oh, good. That's amazing. Perfect picture. Mm-hmm. I love it. So so uh, Roy, again, goes up to Jamie. He literally is touching him. He, that's the thing I thought was funny. He goes and puts his shoulder right into the back of Jamie's shoulder to the point where Jamie like looks at him like, are you for real? <laughs> and, Roy, and Roy says, did you see that? Uh, I couldn't tell, but he seems like he's very good. <laughs> and then he says, cheers again. Oh, oh God. Oh, God, yeah. how do you not love Roy Kent? So now we cut to... Higgins, and this is a little thing that I missed. I, you know, I missed in the first eleven watchthroughs of this oh, wow. of this show. Um, did you notice uh, what Higgins was asking Rebecca in the next scene? 
basically if they should be uh, talking to unemployed gaffers. People have been people been the assumption is Ted is not long for uh, AFC Richmond, so people have been calling to like you know get an appointment and be uh, first in line for the gig. So yeah, that's 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 where that is. But you picked that up. You didn't miss that the first few times around. I did. I did see that. Now I'm considerably smarter than you, so I don't think that means that there's anything that the the view the listeners should be worried about. I'm sure they caught it too. You're probably you're probably the only person who didn't catch it. Is is essentially where I'm going with this. <laughs> now, now hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> now, what's a gaffer? The, a ga- just, just catch me up. No, it's fine. Uh, wait a okay. wait a minute. I'll catch up. They're in England. Wait a minute. <laughs> They're in England. <laughs> um, yes, that is all true. Um, okay, yeah. For some reason, it made me. It gave me a huh moment when I caught mm-hmm. it this time. So I was like, "Really, Higgins? Like, you're really gonna you gonna do this?" All right. Okay. Oh, I see. I took that differently. I took that as they really are calling and he's really asking what to do about it. I didn't take it as he was like rooting for the firing. But may, but but what do you think, boss? I, I that wasn't how that landed on me. Yeah, I didn't think that he was rooting for anybody to get fired. I think that it was just one of those part of his job that they need to address. Mm-hmm. Um I also like just from, you know, sort of the meta level that it gives us an indication of what other people in the Premier League were thinking about him. Mm-hmm. Like Trent Krim had said, he's not a joke. He might not beat relegation, but he's not a joke. And it seems like there are plenty of people around the Premier League who still think he is. Yeah. Okay, so you've, you guys read that as like a spot check, like a temperature check on what, yeah. what people might be thinking. Okay, that makes sense. Um, okay, so um, this is really sort of uh, – uh, an interesting moment. Keely comes into the office um, and she starts, you know, go, talking a lot about how, you know, it's her PR job. Did you know Richard was raised on a goat farm and Isaac's mother, mother has two left hands, which I was like, what? And <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that is. And then she says, uh, she shows her unicorn planner. And do you remember what happens there, boss, when she uh, shows her planner? Rebecca says you couldn't find one without a unicorn and Keely says fuck off it's adorable which I thought was such a great interaction between the two of them being able to give each other shit because they seem to have a genuine friendship and also an indication that Rebecca probably because she's slightly older isn't allowed to have things that are adorable because she needs to be a badass woman in this business world whereas Keely has sort of benefited from the ability to say like I'm going to be cute and feminine and have unicorns or hello kitty or whatever else and i could still be respected and treated seriously because i'm really good at my job and then of course higgins says i'm just wondering what would happen if i told you to fuck off and they all just laugh it's the perfect sort of <laughs> top of that whole scene it, it, it reminded me it was, i'm glad you pointed out that dynamic as they did that because and i i'm not a simpsons ex please don't take me up on the trivia of the Simpsons. I'm not, I don't know. You know more than me. I'm conceding, right? But there was a great uh, moment where they're all laughing and the grand, the grandpa character, they're all laughing at him for getting something. And he goes, I'm a living joke. And I just, <laughs> I like, I still remember like 
laughing at that. I remember rewinding it and watching it again and laughing and just thinking like how hysterically funny it was for that to be the end of the laugh was the character going, oh, I'm a living joke. And to me, that was Higgins saying, I'm a living joke. The truth of the matter was, and as they all laughed, it was very clear that not only shouldn't he say it, but he couldn't say it. Not just because Rebecca wouldn't let him, because he didn't have the stones for it. Yes. Yep. Rebecca wouldn't let him do it because he could not get away with it because of exactly who he is. I love a love a good Grandpa Simpson reference. It's awesome. Um, I also want to point out that this is what uh, Coach and I are talking about by having boys. Yes. This is the dynamic that it is, where it's like one person's like, oh, like like I will I will point out like something I think is unnecessary, like that a proper you know respectable woman should not have unicorns, and the other one's like, fuck off. <laughs> you know, that is, like that if, is healthy as shit. It's like if one man understands that bitmojis can communicate emotion and the other one's so like steeped in toxic masculinity that he's got a problem with it. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it right now. Grown men should not communicate via cartoons. It's reprehensible. What what a terrible thing to bring up. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, coach. Mind blown bitmoji, sir. Mind blown bitmoji. Okay. I'm, All just, right. I'm just updating some notes for future text conversations. I just, I, one year I came in, I hate bitmojis so much. And uh, one year I came in last in my fantasy football league and they got to dress me and they got me a shirt, which was all bitmojis saying how much I suck. Pictures yes. of me in bitmojis. It was torture. I still still shudder to this day. I just hate them. Absolutely hate them. But anyway, Higgins uh, wonders about that. Um, and then we have the moment where Keely thinks she is there to comfort Rebecca. She comes to say, you know, how are you? How are you doing? And she realizes she's the one that has to break it to Rebecca. And boss, what does she have to break to Rebecca? She has to break to Rebecca that the young fit woman that Rupert took home from the fundraising gala is named Bex, which is short for Rebecca. So of course the press is now calling Rebecca, calling Bex Rebecca and calling Rebecca old Rebecca. Oof. It was, it was so good because they really buried the, I mean, they just, they, they set it up perfectly yeah. when they thought she sort of accepted the fact that, she, that the other girl was new Rebecca. Yeah. And she's like, uh, no. No, no, that would have been that would have been better. That, 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 that would have been okay. They're calling you old in the press. Yeah. And this is one of those moments where I feel like a lot of things uh work together for the power of the show because there's a camera move. I don't know that I would describe it as subtle, and I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. It's not quite subtle. I mean it's it's there, but there's a push in on Rebecca in that close that I felt in addition to getting us closer and letting her do some amazing acting with like the twitch of a lip and like just a little something yes. in the cheek, I don't even have yes. a word for. But, no, right. but the move in said like, we're in past her comfortable distance. We're in past her veneer yes. as, as, as is Haley, right? Like Keely, sorry. She is able to, she's now that far in with her. She's the one she's saying like, Hey girl, if you don't, if you're not okay, give me a call. And I thought that was an interesting dynamic that they moved into in this moment. There's just no way Rebecca can fully effectively pull off. I don't mind that 
the public is now referring to me as old Rebecca. Like that's gonna that's gonna take a moment. That's gonna sting. Yeah. I I love the fact I, I didn't notice the the pull in exactly, but what I was thinking about was the fact that we didn't learn about old Rebecca outside of Keeley either. Mm-hmm. It, I, I uh, don't know how much input women have, like women writers or women staff have on these specific scenes, but there's a way that they could have done this, that Keeley could have come bursting into the room saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I saw the tabloids and mm-hmm. we need to talk about how horrible this is. That for a lot of women would have probably brought back memories from middle school where somebody mean girled you by saying, Oh my God, I heard those terrible things that somebody said about you. And I'm so sorry that everyone in school is saying these terrible things about you. Like that is not a way to show that you were concerned or that you were looking out for your friend. That is a way of telling somebody that everyone is gossiping about them in order to hurt them. It's so the way that Keely handles this rang really true. Like you would come in, this would not be the first thing that you would talk about. It would not be the center of it, but you would be there for her if she wanted to talk about how much this had hurt her feelings. Like this is how women who like each other act with each other. Wow. This is so, ah, God, this is like gold because I was, I, I seriously, no, no, no. It's so important. Cause I, I know you're right. And, and when you say it, it feels true and right to me, but men are so much less complex and subtle and and the frenemy thing is a little different and um maybe people are different now i don't know just when i was growing up that wouldn't have been a dynamic of like one of my guy friends they would they certainly are elements where they would try to hurt you or something like that but it would just be significantly less toxic and subtle you know they would it would be more Mm -hmm. just right in your face um and even now like when i try to think about when i try to relate to how rebecca feels Coach and I always talk about we we hit we both you know if the term is married up um, <laughs> we hit, we hit the jackpot like we both of us are so far outclassed by our partners um, and then I think like I put try to picture myself like I think about Coach's wife and how amazing she is and then I try to picture okay Coach gets tired of his wife whom I love. And then he leaves her and then he starts dating someone with the same name who's 20 Ugh, years younger. Come right? I know. No, you're getting sick. <laughs> I get sick just right. And then I think how mad I would be at coach. I mean, I'm mad at him most of the time, but I would be, sure. this would be cripplingly angry at him and, and think how gross that is and how, how disturbing this. And then if you dared call his wife old, whatever her name is, yeah. oh my God, I start to tremble yeah. thinking about it. And I go, okay, but I can only do it. I have to like, I have to like connect the dots that way to even sort of have a sense about, you know, where Rebecca is. And I get so righteously angry for her, um, you know, and the worst part about the whole thing is she did nothing. You know, that's like the the -hmm. state of things. Like she literally did nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, especially this is, I, I mean, I can imagine that if your friend was acting the way that Rupert was, you would not want to be friends with Rupert. Like if he had really fucked up that much, but even just in a normal divorce, if they had gotten divorced, I, I, um, uh, a family friend has um, married three different women named Judy. 
And like, yes, I don't know how that's happened. It was at different stages of their lives. All of the divorces seem amicable enough that nobody hates each other. There isn't a war in the press, anything like that. A little bit weird. Don't know how it happened. Man has a thing for women named Judy. Do you um, have Do you have adjectives to distinguish them? Do you have, um, do you have new Judy? Can, no. Like funny laugh Judy? Um, no, 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 no. No, there's no. Like, no, like, there's. No, you just say. I mean, how do you tell them? I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Cackling Judy. This is what. Yeah, this, no. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say that the, the weirdest part is that. Um, well, the first one that he married when they were very young and the marriage was short. And then there was a, a, a mid twenties to about 40 ish Judy and then a 40 to now Judy. So it's really just like it, but all three Judy's I'm pretty sure have the same name now and they all still live in the same area. So there are definitely three women who are named like Judy Smith, all living in the South suburb area. It's super weird. Um, but definitely we would not call any of them old Judy because that, that would that, that's that's actually the the thing that got me about this so much is that like being called old, especially when you're a woman, is seemingly yes. an insult. Being called old as compared to the new version is an insult. There's nothing wrong with being old. Rebecca didn't do anything wrong, and the well, media she, she is did creating age. a she story. Aged, so that she is did, wrong. she aged. She did. She, I mean, she, she did have the classlessness to age. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely a procedure for that at this point. I don't know what she's doing. But she aged. I guess that's a problem. But it is the media creating this story in order to sell papers and not really being concerned with the fact that she's being hurt. She didn't do anything wrong. Like, she has nothing to do with this. He picked somebody who had the same name, whether that was intentionally hurtful to Rebecca or not, because it could be a coincidence, maybe, but it like she didn't do anything, and she's being dragged into this and being humiliated for no reason. It's the worst. Boss, do you have um you have nieces and nephews, right? They're, are they teen or teenage yet, or no? Oh no no no! The oldest one is nine, mm. uh, and the youngest is not yet a year. So I'm still dealing with the little ones. Coach, I don't know if you've had to deal with this because your your uh, your teenagers, uh, your teenage daughter is is like definitely has my vote for president. Um, <laughs> The most amazing. Um, my daughter, fifteen uh, year old daughter, has had to deal with that that frenemy thing. You know, mm. the people out to get you. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you had any experience with that, boss, because I've, I'm like, it is like navigating the craziest shit you've ever seen. Like, I'm like, oh my god, like, re- like, what did she do? Um, right. You know, it's cra- it's like crazy, my, mind blowing. And and these girls will come over and visit and hang out and talk to my face or whatever. And then my daughter will tell me the stuff. You know, some you know how the how the relationship fell out, and you're like. Oh my God. Like it just, I don't know. It feels like the most difficult thing to navigate is like, you know, early teen girl years. And I, I, boys are significantly easier. I think just, I don't know, maybe maybe not, but on that, that I think on that front, yes. And I think there's more, um, I think there's more in your faceness about it with the guys. So like maybe because I'm a guy or they kind of did the same thing, you know, then it makes more sense to me and I get it better and I, I, I process it better. But yeah, there was definitely some stories. I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you, what, what, what you've got to share on this, uh, bone, if anything, because, or boss, sorry, I'll do that again. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you what you I'm, have to share on this, but yeah, I, I, I've been amazed at what it said, what goes unsaid, 
who's hanging out with who, who goes to the sleepover, but who didn't want to go to the sleepover. <laughs> and then, you know, you start dealing with who's sleeping in what rooms on the school trip. You got to bring in like UN ambassador level negotiators. Seriously, it's like Glassnose. Oh yeah, my seriously. God. Yeah. I, so I was actually really lucky with this stuff. There was um, maybe a year or two when I was actually in elementary school when I would engage in some of the mean girl uh, behavior. We used to do some of the weirdest shit too. Like for some reason, we would have one of our friends call a mutual friend and you would listen on another extension and you would get the person who you're with to get the other person to talk shit about you. And I don't know why we did like literal entrapment when we were nine and I can't figure it out. Like it's, it, and also I don't, I can't imagine if I had been on the phone and a friend called and they wanted to bitch about something our other friend had done. I'd be like, Oh yeah, no, that sounds like it sucks. And then the next thing we would be fighting, like, I was just trying to bitch with a friend of mine. I was just trying to help her out. I don't understand why this is a thing. Mm-hmm. So luckily it, it, it mm. that has been my mindset since I was about 12. And by and large, when people start trying to do some mean girly shit, I'm like, I don't understand why we're doing this. And then I opt out entirely. Nice. nice. <laughs> That's the thing though. It's not even that I'm like, Oh, morally I'm above this and I'm not going to engage in these games. It's just that I'm like, I don't, I I cannot figure out the social construct that you guys are working at right now that I am supposed to be following. Right. So I'm just going to bow out because I'm, I'm not sophisticated enough to engage in this stuff with you guys. Although then it just became like I had some friends and then also had bitches that I would directly talk shit to. So, you know, it's still not a good person. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend to be. I like it. I like the self-awareness there at the end. I like the whole thing. I'm into it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, Jamie Tart. He is picking up picking up cones and he decides to chip a ball in and and he hits the crossbar. And and Danny Rojas runs up and he's like, "Whoa, you meant to do that." And he's like, <laughs> so he he does it too. <laughs> and right so what I like about this is Jamie starts with this little, little, this little speech. He's like, "Look, mate, like you're good, but to be great." And Danny just like cr- cranks it and hits the crossbar. Like doesn't even say anything. He's like, "Okay, one one, amigo." Like right, or like just doesn't even connect with with Jamie. So Jamie keeps going, and Jamie is complaining. And the the thing goes, they do the left post. Um, Danny Rojas is like, "That was good," and Jamie goes, "I know." what a and then danny beats him danny outlasts him and he Mm. says again tomorrow jamie tart and jamie tart says we'll see and he runs off football his life and i was like wow that is such a great scene that is such a great scene but by the way that is like crazy hard to do but that is like impossible to hit those bars but i don't know i'm pretty confident i couldn't throw it four times in a row and hit it so yeah i was thoroughly impressed I, I I couldn't hit it with my hand four times. So that's <laughs> yeah, was, that, that, that's like high tech, high tech. That, yeah, that's the athleticism I'm working at. So these two are juxtaposed against each other, and we see this whole thing, and we and we zoom up to the stands where we find out who's been watching this coach. Uh, Ted and uh, Beard have been watching this whole thing go down, and then Ted delivers just a, an all time classic line. 
oh man, I tell you, I feel like we fell out of the lucky tree, hit every branch on the way down, and ended up in a pool of cash and Sour Patch Kids, which I personally <laughs> love Sour Patch Kids. So I was like, this is just more evidence that they plagiarized my soul. Like, how did they come up with Sour Patch Kids? Like, what? This is great. Stop plagiarizing my soul, people. Sour Patch Kids are delicious. And in one of my all-time favorite tricks, if you have any candy that is a little bit gelatinous or gummy, you leave it out overnight and then they stale up a little bit and they're so much better. Oh. Continue. Oh, that's a pro tip. Hot damn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I hear Sour Patch Kids, I think of early movie visits. Uh, Maybe this is the wrong way to think of it, but like... Once upon a time, you used to go to a theater before there were big, like, sort of huge cineplexes. And everyone sort of had their their candy order that they would have. Mm-hmm, and mine was mm-hmm. mine was not Sour Patch Kids. But you could get some bizarro candies, back, you know, Mike and Ike's and things like that. Mm-hmm. You could get different ones when we were growing up. And this just, you know, I always think, like, God, oh, this is just further proof that this is, like, a Gen X show or, you know, like, a younger show. It's not a, it's not a baby boomer show. It's a... Uh, you know, someone that that's experienced that, and you know, went up to the to the candy counter at an age like that, and said, "Yeah, I'll have the Sour Patch Kids." It's so funny. Yeah, no, they they definitely like it is the experience. And then right after that, we get an Ace Freely joke, which I'm like, oh my. okay, so <laughs> I mean, like, what what are we talking about here? That's crazy. So um, this is the the premise of Two Aces is uh, they got lucky because the guy that they're going to use to make Jamie feel you know, to hurt his soul by putting in his position and and wake him up as to that he's not uh, indispensable is also an ace. And now you have two aces and man, you're in you're in a good, you know, you're in a good place. And um one of those aces um uh is obviously Jamie. One of them is Danny Rojas. And then we switch to I loved this shot. I don't know if you guys noticed this shot, but I really loved it. We just have Roy's feet. It's just a mm-hmm. shot really low of Roy's feet mm-hmm. walking on a treadmill. And then they are sort of joined by Keely's like kick ass boots walking on the treadmill next to him. And I was like, Oh, this is such a telling, beautiful shot. Did you notice that, boss? I did. What I also noticed is it's a treadmill in a professional sports training room and he was walking so slowly. And so then the addition of Keeley and also then the pullback that the reason he was moving so slowly is because he was walking while rereading a wrinkle in time. I like the couple of things before they actually start talking are maybe my favorite thing about this entire scene. The fact you're saying the couple things like before they even say a word, you love the fact that she joins him on the treadmill and then, he is reading this book, walking, walking slowly, rereading the book that Ted was trying to drill into his head. Is that that's what you're saying? Yes, yes. But then those two like preliminary setup shots before the scene actually start, it just shows a specific level of care and crafting each shot that I don't know every other show is able to pull off. And this one, like, it, they're going to show you something. They're going to explain it. And usually they're going to use it later in that same scene as a reference for an argument they're making now. It's like the layering of importance in each shot that they have that I'm always blown away by. And I feel like this so speaks to sort of off of what you're saying, the the the, the whole element of this show that is women moving into and through a, ma- a male space or a, a sort of a space we've come to think of as a male space. 
like literally watching it there. And as I now rewatched and for this conversation, I found myself thinking this reminds me of the quote about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, where she did everything he did except backwards and in heels. And I thought like, this isn't exactly that, but this shot is that point. And uh, so that, that spoke to me too. Yeah. That's a great point. That is a great point. I love that. Um, I love that. He's trying to read and walk on a treadmill. Have you guys ever tried that? I snap my ankle. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, like, I'm not I don't know what the, what that takes. We're talking about kicking a soccer ball in a crossbar. I think I could do that before I could read read on a treadmill. I'm like, oh my god. Um, so she, so Keely just starts to like sort of chat him up, which I thought was adorable. Um, just these two, the dynamic between these two are, is great. And he's like, what are we doing now? Like, what what is happening? <laughs> like, I love it because when someone pulls you out of your dreamland, I'm always like, what? I'm I'm stunned for, I'm shocked for a minute. Like, I just woke up. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roy's like, Oh, you know, I'm trying to read. Um, she says, you know, I'm doing some PR. I know about a guy who grew up in South London, played in Sunderland. He's like, leave me out of it. I'm not one of your show ponies. And do you remember how she responds to that boss? She says you wear a Jersey and trot about while people clap for you. So don't pretend that you're above it all, which is, I, I know that I say that I love this show so much, but seriously, I love this show so much because he doesn't get to pretend that as somebody whose entire livelihood depends on people liking him, that he is above PR. Like it's usually considered to be sort of uh, a feminine thing in a bad way when you want people to pay attention to you and then you go out of your way to get people's attention in specific ways. He's above that. He's just here for the love of the game, the love of the game that like children play and also that you make a lot of money by doing advertisements. So mm-hmm. don't, don't start with that, Roy. You're too good for that. Huh? Wow. I'd I'm, like I'm that. sitting. I'm having a moment of shame because I totally agree with Roy. <laughs> like, I, seriously, I'm like, yeah, no, obviously we're above that. Me and Roy, we would never do that. <laughs> Shit. Well, no, because I think that this goes back to the uh, the fundraising gala where his thing, mm. his identity and persona is he's going to walk through and say, fuck you, fuck no, fuck off. Absolutely not. Like his persona what he does to connect with fans is seemed it maybe even not seem to be above it all, but his thing is that he's above it all. And that's what some of the fans like about him, that he is always going to not be getting it too involved in the PR side of it. Uh, it's like the line in singles where it's like, Oh, your move is not having a move or something. I forget the exact quote. Do you know what yes, I'm talking about? Exactly. Yes. His persona is he doesn't have a persona because he doesn't need one. He's just here to play football. But I think there's something that she cuts through to that I that I love in what she's saying is what I got from where you were going, boss, where it's, look, like, you don't get to play this game if those photographers aren't showing up and if people don't show up and clap for you as you prance about. So, you know, give it a rest. And I just like that about it. Like She doesn't she actually doesn't denigrate the game, interestingly. She doesn't say sports are yeah. stupid. That's not at all what she says, in my opinion. What I hear her saying is, it's it. What's silly is for you to pretend it's something that it isn't. Yeah, you ain't absolutely. you ain't curing cancer out there, buddy. So settle down. <laughs> it's kind of like how I experienced that. I just thought it was great. God damn it! I feel like I got quick pinned again. <laughs> all right so oh god now we have people we have people in the um 
we have people and that was the end of that scene. We have uh, a bunch of people in the locker room. Um, oh no, no. Sorry. Before that we have Danny and he is just practicing Danny Rojas and Rojas and he just goes down, just something pops and he goes down and he's explaining to everyone in the locker room that something he was tripped by something not there. And everybody looks around and they have share a knowing glance and they realize, you know, that they all know sort of what he's referring to everyone except uh, Ted and coach beard and coach, you want to walk us through this? Yeah. So Nate confesses that he saw Danny go into the treatment room. Roy says, we're never going to see him again. Um, there go and there's just a lot going back and forth, and we really do experience Ted and Beard, and so we're with them fully. What is everybody talking about? But it's it's clear that there's something there. The moment that comes behind that, uh, or as part of that, is the threat from Ted of him throwing one of his son's classic temper tantrums, which include things like calling uh, you pee pee fingers, and it was just. <laughs> This unbelievable aside laugh. Like, you can totally have this scene. It's 100% fine. But I'm sorry. When you picture him turning to call everybody pee-pee fingers as his son has clearly screamed at him, that is just hella funny. That's just, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a parent, some days, you know, it might happen. You might get called pee-pee fingers. You don't know from one day to the next how this is going to play out. Um, so he then, needed, he needed mm-hmm. help with that coach too. He needed, he, he needed to ask, you know, he was listing off a, a litany <laughs> of names right. that his That's son right. would call him and he had to go to, he had to go to the, uh, either phone a friend with coach Beard. <laughs> there's, like, there's one he was yeah. forgetting. And I, because I am a, a hardcore coach Beard fangirl now, uh, of course I was watching Beard during the scene. I think this might be the closest that Brendan Hunt ever gets to breaking. Oh, because really? he's so deadpan the entire series. It, like, you never see anything that he doesn't mean to have out there. And right after Ted shouts, I'm going to have one of my son's classic temper tantrums. If you say another thing that me and Beard don't understand, he has to start looking away. He smiles a little <laughs> bit and he looks away and he doesn't look back up until after he's had to deliver the pee fingers line. And so I just rewatch it over and over again now because it's so funny to me that that was the line that almost broke him. That's great. Now I want to watch it again. Oh, it's so good. So now that they realize the treatment room is cursed and, and Ted is like, you know, I've literally had, 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 uh, suggestion boxes with faces on them (laughs) in the, in the locker room. How, why is this the first I'm hearing about this? And, um, what does Sam tell him why it's the first he's hearing about it, coach? Well, I mean, they're grown men and they don't want to admit that they all believe in, as Sam calls it, these hoodoo, voodoo, juju business. This, and I just thought that was very, <laughs> just a, a great <laughs> expression of it. True to, true to character and how it would be said by that character. Um, and the beauty from there is Roy, of course, not believing in it, but also not really being that interested in going in that room, which is very funny. Um, you know, not that I'm scared or anything. I just don't want to, I think is like mm-hmm. a, a sort of classic fake tough guy stance. So it, it definitely, it, 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 it humanized Roy in a, in a way in that moment. I like also that coach uh, Lasso gets actually angry and his expletive is, oh, heck. <laughs> <laughs> 
so um, then he refers to Danny as a golden retriever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this line, I mean, good Lord, the line that comes after this. Boss, will you go <laughs> tell us that line? <laughs> I laughed so hard at this that I thought my, my liver was going to explode. Well, I mean, pure, like, uh, pure of heart Sam, so concerned, says, is it true that you have so many dogs in America that some get put down for no reason? And Ted says, it is true, Sam. But it's also something that a lot of female singer-songwriters are trying to change. <laughs> oh, she's... What? What? <laughs> that is the crate. Like, I just want to stand up and just cl- slow clap for the writer. I'm like, good Lord, that's a great <laughs> That is... The, that's yeah. what gets cut out of a network show, by the way. You, that just doesn't make it. You don't, you're like, we don't have time. We right. can't put that joke in. It's just got to go. Sorry. It's really funny in the room. It's true, Sam, but it's also something a lot of female singer-songwriters are trying to change. <laughs> I like female singer-songwriters. Oh, it's so beautiful. So now we get, when I'm talking about a structural difference, now we're at 1630 into the into the episode, and we get, like, basically the A-plot of the episode. There's a curse to reverse. Like, that's mm-hmm. what this, that's the MacGuffin of this episode, which is really interesting. And now we cut to the pub. And, and walk us through what's happening at the pub, uh, Coach. So no Jamie. Uh we see Ted even check um check with Beard. Yeah, no Jamie, no Jamie. And we get an explanation of what went down. Um the curses don't last forever, a couple of, you know, sports references around, you know, where I think I think they mentioned the Cubs and or the Red Sox. Um, but that, you know, these things don't last forever. And then they get into and again, just I don't know who told them they were allowed to get away with this, but they end up on this whole side note of what is Scorsese's best work, you know, <laughs> complete with the departed was not his best work and Isaac calling out age of innocence. And we've got Goodfellas shouted out, but I think that was Colin and, you mm-hmm. know, Ted offers up the color of money, all great Cape fear beard, of course. Right. And so we think the joke's done. Great job. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm still with you. And then May comes in and <laughs> shuts it down with Mean Street. And again, I feel like I have to call out the pause jokes. That's what I've decided I'm going to call them. That's going to be the technical term because I had to pause it after she said Mean Streets. I just thought, like, who told them they got it? Like, rule of threes i'm like that's like the seventh one like how is it that they're getting away with this getting funnier but they just really did so anyway we do that and then tell the story of the the what what happened and the 400 boys being tricked into enlisting with signs that went up about becoming a professional footballer and so what we're up against are the 400 uh ghosts that uh boss is planning to slap around stay tuned exactly this is a this is a great. Um, first of all, I love the the May character. I, I in general love the sort of wily veteran female oracle character that just brings it all home. Like no no no, children, here's the answer. You know, and you're like, oh god, like, so such a great great character. With May, um, by the way, I love about her that she's not on a side. So like Ted does certain things, and she's like, no, wrong. And then other times she's with them a hundred percent. She backed Beard at other times. Like I just think as we watch this season unfold, um, May for me is most interesting because she's not May, May is Switzerland locked on a side. Yeah, I guess. Or actually, she but she's like 
is maybe she's the on some level a if not the moral guiding voice or or certainly the the real indication of where we are like those other guys in the bar may be screaming you don't know what you're doing um but she's she was screaming that too was she on that particular one? Yeah, There's she was one, on that, but she also which was Which was like, the boy, one where she said, chance. boy, give him a chance. That's what I was going to say. When was it that she said, give him a chance? Like, to me, that's who she is constantly through this is um, she's, you know what she is? She's re- she's reason. She is for me in these scenes. She's always reasonable in her own way, down to mean streets being the answer, right? Like, she's thought about it. She's heard all your bullshit answers. It's mean streets. Now I'll tell you a story. Shut up! Like it's—I don't know. I love—I love her. We're going to explore this in a future episode because I have questions about May's interaction with another character mm-hmm. in a future episode. So we'll talk about that. Boss, you have anything to say about May before we jump into the four hundred ghosts? Not about May. I do have to say about Colin. Obviously, a basic bitch if he's picking Goodfellas because <laughs> every dude I dated in college picked Goodfellas. <laughs> I would also like to do a very quick um, opposite of a shout out. I, the, not the show. In particular, but just in general, I don't understand why the Red Sox are the ones known for the curse and not the White Sox, considering that our uh, World Series drought lasted two years longer and we had the Black Sox to blame for it. Like, there's obviously a better cinematic story behind that, but everybody only talks about the Red Sox. East Coast bias. This is just me bitching because I'm, uh, you know, the middle child and feel like my team doesn't get loved enough. That's this. Because he ain't from Boston, okay, guy? All right, now pipe the fuck down. <laughs> fucking Boston. I mean, For Christ's sake. Jesus fucking Christ, guy. You guys aren't even ashamed of yourself that you drink Dunkin' that much. Like, yes, I will get an iced culotta when I need to, but I'm not going to tell people about it. I'll fucking pour that shit all over me. Jesus, <laughs> son of a bitch. I, I'm, I'm always a little bit afraid when you do that accent. Like there's, part of, there's part of me that's like, let me make sure I have an exit strategy. Like, yes, this is funny. <laughs> totally funny, but I do feel a little bit threatened. Uh, right I now. don't like this version. <laughs> um, okay. I love, listen, we, so what do we know about Richard? Okay. We don't know that much. We saw him in the very beginning of like in the very beginning, he had a comment and in, I think it was the pilot. Mm. When and uh, Roy was like, we don't understand what you're saying mm. or whatever. Do you remember that? But it, mm-hmm. but in general, we haven't gotten a lot of Richard. But he gets a glisteningly beautiful line in this exchange. Isaac says, "You're telling me that we got 400 ghosts," and Colin says, "That's too many ghosts." And Richard <laughs> says, "We cannot fight them all. <laughs> we cannot fight them all." Oh, my God. I was so happy when he said that line. I love it. Now we have Sam asking, Coach, how do we fix this? We can't change the past, which I thought was the perfect line for Sam as the goldfish, the resident goldfish. Um, And Ted says, you know, we can't change the past, but we can choose to honor it. Um, And what is the plan for them, uh, boss? Uh, Well, as Roy explains to them, what they're all going to be doing is following Ted's plan showing up at the clubhouse that night at midnight with something that is of particular importance to them, something that they value a lot. And I think one of the things that I liked so much about this is we can't change the past. We could choose to honor it is a lot of Ted's entire philosophy. Like 
you can't actually go back and do things differently, but you could decide that you're going to understand the lessons of that and take that importance with you moving forward and honoring what you did learn, even if it wasn't the way that you wanted to learn it. When heaven knows you tried, you know? Yes, exactly. Good point. Good point. Um, so yeah, I like when Roy's like, we're all going to fucking do it. <laughs> okay. That's your captain right there. Now that okay. that's settled. Right. Uh, yeah. So then we get the fans cheering Richmond, Richmond. This this one took place at the pub, by the way. And um, Richmond, Richmond. And now we have Jamie showing up at Keeley's house. And this is a, this is a little bit of a, of a shift for them because she won't go, she won't invite him inside and she also won't go in the car. Why isn't she doing either one of those boss? Because sex was the only thing that they were good at. Right. And also because she's had uh, three glasses of wine, so it would be Pavlovian, which Jamie assumes is the wine because <laughs> the poor pretty boy is not that smart. He's a progeny, was, that one. He's a progeny. progeny. Also, hey, Keely, three glasses of wine and still up and wandering around and not uh, blatheringly drunk someplace. Good on you. That girl can hang. Seriously. I Keely's like got it. bars. Yes. Um, the I love that. So I really like the the dumb character on a show. I was thinking like so many of my. I made a list. I started to go down. I went down a rabbit hole when I was planning this show doc, and I started mm. making a list of all like the sort of dumb characters that I love on shows. And I was mm-hmm. and this is where I want you to jump in, Coach and mm-hmm. and Boss. You may know this better than I do, but I was like, oh, is it indicative of how? far we haven't come as a society that you see so few black dumb characters oof that's a good you, question i mean because i was like yeah. these are all dumb white guys everyone i was right. thinking like andy dwyer woody coach right you know on the show coach it's like dauber and luther and and on wings there was you know the guy lowell that was played by thomas hayden church i mean there's like these this this person is not very bright and you know there was this structural change. I remember when was it in 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 like when Law and Order like every judge had to be black at some point. Right, you know what I mean? Right, and right. then it's like I remember seeing like one time what was the show where they had it was a newer show. Ah, oh, shit! I wish I could remember this. They had a newer show, and the asshole on the show was black. And I was like, oh, this is so good because you weren't, mm-hmm. you know, like five years ago, they wouldn't let you get away with this. Like mm-hmm. you, they would have to be some sort of PC line where, oh, no, no, the judge is black, but the asshole isn't black. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, is it maybe the um, the Darius Epps character in Atlanta, maybe a little, but he's not huh. dumb. I, so I don't know. I don't know. Do you watch that show? Coach, I don't know if you watch it. I mean, I've seen it. I haven't, you know, I haven't watched it religiously, but yes, I've I watched the first season and yeah. Never quite got 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 f- farther than that, but liked it. And yeah, I think there is something to what you're saying. I was I was trying to think of examples where it would be a black character not in an all black space, right? So like, right, um, living single, right? You have the Kim um, the Kim Cole character, um, but she's you know they're all black so there's i think there's room for that level you know for that to go on there is something to i'm sure there's something out there we yeah just don't, i'm not thinking just, of it I, yeah. but i can't think of it like in a you know a cast where it's or it's everybody like I, it's funny because it's like oh would they or and would that dynamic still be the same oh god we gotta get where's where's dan hamamura when you need him because he would know the answer to this he really uh, no listen this this is where now i need to step in and scold both of you equally because i cannot imagine for a second that you would include the tv show atlanta 
and not remember Troy fucking Barnes from Community. Oh, oh right, 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 great. right, right. There you go. Okay. There you I mean, go. We're, we're really come on. Well done, well done. Thank you. And I am ashamed. I just and, like and to you should have be. that on the record. I would also say that um, uh, Tracy Jordan, to an extent, although yes. that seems more of the he's an actor and therefore uh, has no idea about anything around him, rather than being just a dummy. Right. But yeah, no, Troy Barnes, classic. And yeah, right. Tracy Jordan was pretty dumb. In their I mean, own I'm universe. sitting here thinking, yeah, oh. Tracy Jordan was unbelievable. <laughs> Just, I'm thinking of how many stupid lines he had. Th- You're right. That's good. Okay, good. All right. So this whole episode is about me getting quick pinned. That's cool. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. That's it. All I right. mean, in in your defense, um, it's the fact that you actually used the word dummy. Because I can't remember which community episode it is right now. It's one of the um, uh, flashback episodes that weren't actually flashbacks where Troy rides a a four-wheeler into the study room and Annie shouts, Troy, you can't ride that in here. And he says, yes, I can, dummy. It's an all-terrain vehicle. And I laugh my ass (laughs) off (laughs) literally every time. I've watched that show like six times through and still every time. Yes, I can, dummy. So Jamie shows up at Keeley's place. She won't she won't take the bait, but obviously something's wrong with him. And I love he's like fucking Ted Lasso. And I was like, that is so funny. That is so I was listening. I don't know if you guys listened to um Sudeikis and um and Brendan Hunt were on the Brene Brown yes. podcast. Yes. And I caught it and I was like, so we've been talking about how he's the ripple in the pool, that he's the pebble that that sends the waves out. Mm-hmm. They referred to him as the white rabbit that kind of leads people down to their destiny kind of thing i don't know if did you did you catch that coach when you heard it um yeah i mean i did i I did hear that it felt very much the the same and like um yeah that much of what we were saying is that he impacts everyone around i thought it was great that they referenced um shows i thought of like highway to heaven and touch my name i mean there, there is that kind of element to the show it's not structured the same way but his function in people's lives and so the way we watch him go through feels um very similar to that um as he touches people so i, I I guess I found myself going, all right, we're, we may be making some of it up, but we ain't making all of it up. <laughs> well, I also thought, I mean, I'd like our, our, the way we categorize it better. So no offense to Jason Sudeikis, but. <laughs> Who does he know? Yeah. So, um, all right. So um, he says fucking Ted Lasso, which I think is such a great, I don't know. I just love that line because like for this guy, this character, it really, you know, like the Ted Lasso character, even Keely says, she's like, he's really gone up your bum, hasn't he? Um, and he's like, he's not even a real coach. And I'm like, this is so great. He's not even a real coach. And he goes on to say what they're going to do tonight. And Keely says, are you going? And he says, no. And she's like, is everyone else going? She doesn't mean Juno Temple. I mean, she's mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. But the way she says that, mm-hmm. because she's not judging him, she's whatever. She's just asking these questions. And he's like, yeah, everyone's going, but I'm not like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um and then, boss, do you remember what she said to him about being a battler? I really liked that line, and I thought it landed really well. Um, do you remember what that was? Um, yeah, so I love this line. I thought that it landed great, and I thought that she delivered it super well. It reminded me of when Ted asked how to talk to Jamie, and she said that he responds well to blowjobs mm-hmm. <laughs> because she understands him on a level that is base, and she doesn't mind it. She embraces that fact. So what she says to him is, you're a battler, Jamie. It's really hot, but maybe you should stop battling people who are just trying to help you. 
so that she critiques him in a way, but lets him know it's not a bad thing. She's not attacking him. He's hot. She's, she thinks that she would have sex with him if they went into her house right now, mm-hmm. but she needs to critique him on this. To- totally right. And you know what? She's his boy. Yeah. That's like, right. He's the only, he's that's the only, right. she's the only, I mean, that's like a re- that's high praise. That's right. Because this is your girlfriend and this is someone you're sexually attracted to. And sometimes I'm not going to say never the twain shall meet, but mm-hmm. sometimes there's a, there's a divergence there, but here they are broken up. And when he really needs someone to talk to, mm-hmm. you know, he goes to Keely and, and she's the only one he can be honest with. And that's a, it's a real feather in her cap and it's a feather in his cap for, um, I don't know if it's a feather in his cap, but it's a, it's telling that, um, that that's the person he relies on. I, um, there was either an article or maybe it was just a very well-written, uh, Twitter thread that I read a while back, but basically it's about how there is a presumption, especially in American culture, that men and women can't be friends with sex eventually getting involved and messing that up. And that we always say it's that women can't have sex and not become emotionally attached. That if you have sex with a friend of yours, all of a sudden you're going to want to be in this relationship. And what the truth is, is that men can't have emotional intimacy without also expecting that that leads to physical intimacy. So the way that I read this is that he was most recently in a physically intimate relationship with Keely. And so she has become the only person in his life that he feels he could be emotionally intimate with because he can't do it with his friends or with women who he hasn't had sex with. Like my read was that it was so intertwined for him that she has become the only person that he trusts. Hmm. I have no response to that, but thank you, for, thank you for joining us on the Ted Lasso podcast. We're now. I have to. My brain is. Yeah. It's like in. Uh, you're sharp. You're sharp cookie, boss. You're sharp cookie. Yeah, yeah. Little mystery puzzle that I did not figure out. Um, there, there's a moment in um, in um, uh, oh god, what's that Jean Luc Besson movie? The uh, the Fifth Element, mm. where there's a close up of Gary Oldman's face, and they want to make it look like evil has permeated his brain, so they drop like chocolate syrup. It's literally chocolate syrup, and it just comes down his face. <laughs> and I feel like I've felt like that while I was listening to. <laughs> Like, oh, shit, is that what that is? uh, Not until we were talking us through that, uh, boss, though, did I realize, and and we've seen it with Keely otherwise, she's a natural coach. Yeah. She's a natural coach. And and, and now that I think back to it, when Ted asks her, she has an an answer ready to go. She didn't need to think about it. She didn't need to chew her hamburger for a while and mull it over. I mean, she says a sort of crass thing, but it comes from a very real place. She like you're pointing out what it is. And she tells him here what he needs to hear, how he needs to hear it. And how different is this? Right. It's not it's really hot. Right. When it comes from Ted, it's you're one of the best athletes ever. Right. But it's come, come. You're wonderful, Jamie. We know you need to hear how wonderful you are. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. Um, she's a natural coach. And so Jamie's so busy jumping up and down, you know, metaphorically about who he's not even a real coach. He can't even understand the level on which he's being coached. He's incapable of getting it yet. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's part of the reason, you know, there's a weird thing that happens where women are 
in a lot of ways, naturally inclined to be supportive in specific ways. And that somehow seen, it, it, it kind of seems like when Ted is doing it, it's coaching. And when she's doing it, it's somehow PR work. Like what mm-hmm. she's doing is advancing the careers of the men on the team. Mm-hmm. And she's doing it in a way that requires skill and a skill that she's very good at. But hers is somehow seen as not as important as Ted's because of the gender roles in play there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Or even what a real coach is, right? A real coach is somebody who would bark or throw a chair or say, everybody listen to me and do it my way. Not somebody who hands out, you know, customized book, uh, (laughs) book recommendations. Somebody who would uh, uh, come out with his balls out as uh, the original coach did. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Balls out. Great. Yeah. Well, I think I disagree with you about men being intimate. And after this episode, I'm going to go cuddle up with Juliana and complain about you. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> hope that put that in your pipe and smoke it, boss. Um, okay, so <laughs> um, we uh, Jamie's still still fighting to um, to get into her house, and she says, "Have a good night, Jamie Tart." Um, and then we cut to, oh, God, Rebecca just looking at her Mac again, her MacBook. And it, and it says, new face, same name. And we see the sign, the picture, Rebecca and old Rebecca. Um, and then we get this wonderful scene where Sam comes into her office. Boss, can you walk us through that scene? Yeah. My favorite part is that he comes in and introduces himself. Like, he is a famous soccer player on a Premier League team, a football player. And he's introducing himself to his boss. like. It, but what does that tell you about how, what he thinks like she knows about the team? You know what I mean? I, that's how I took it. I was like, wow. like Yeah, no, it's, he's adorable. But also it's like, oh, he's not 100% sure she's been so detached from them that, you know. Yeah, that she's had nothing to do with the players themselves. She hasn't been in the locker room. She hasn't been around the team at all yet. I mean, he probably does have good reason to think that she doesn't know who he is because they might not have been introduced. It's adorable on his part, but also indicative that she has not been involved in this team. Um, And one of the things that I like so much is that uh, he asks if she's free tonight and she basically, you know, puts him off saying that she doesn't think it would be appropriate. I liked a lot that she thought that a hot 20 year old football player might be interested in her. Because I think that she has played herself down in so many scenes. We've seen her so often like, be surprised that Keely would think that she's attractive. That when Sam comes in and is she thinks showing interest, she's like, oh, no, honey, that wouldn't be appropriate. We can't do that. It's so cute and so awesome to see her in that role. But, of course, oh, sorry, Coach. Oh, no, just to, to chime in, though, and I didn't catch that until you just said it the way you did. I love the point you're making about what, you know, how she takes that and so on. And man, could she use sort of that energy right now to kind of go like, you're not, you are not over, Becca. Now you, you know. Um, yes. But I also think in terms of the show and, you know, the fact that when we're talking about newspaper and donut holes, that we're talking about Rosa Parks and there are a few other moments like it there, you know, even the conversation around the um, not say I'm not wanting to hold on to that army man. There's some moments where race is dealt with, even in it's not beating being dealt with in this show. 
that mm-hmm. I really appreciated. And the fact that there wasn't any element of this that felt like I was, you know, going to hear Stevie Wonder blasting with You Got Jungle Fever. <laughs> uh, I very much like that was so not a part of this. It was just like she thought she misunderstood. He thinks she's lovely. You know, like it's all whatever, but there's nothing about the fact that he is black and she is white. Like, that's just a non-factor in the scene. And I appreciated the non-factorness of it. So I didn't mean to interrupt your telling, no. of it, but I thought that was significant. I, I, I was just looking at my email to see if I got a response back. Cause I emailed. So the actor that plays Samo with Sonia is Toib Jimo. And I want to make sure I'm pronouncing his name right. So I had emailed his agents just to check. Cause I'm like, he is so good. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing his name. Right. I think it's Toib Jimo. Mm. But um, he is uh, what a he lights up the screen. This guy is killing it. Like yeah. he's such a good actor, and I love him so much. Like I literally want him around for family events because um, <laughs> he's so nice and so wonderful and a huge beautiful smile, and he's just upbeat and he just he just kills it. He's so great. I think it's interesting, and and we won't get too far into this. I covered the World Cup. Um, I, well, I cover the World Cup uh, for men and women, but the last male World Cup, um, I was I wrote a lot about how um, you would have uh, teams from you know there's a lot of European teams that make it in, and there was a big thing because all the South South American teams got knocked out, but one of the teams that was still in it was Cameroon, and the players. I was like, you don't even understand the set of variables these people are dealing with. Like, you have like this really, like, if you're talking about the English national team, you know, these guys are, uh, you know, talk about show ponies. They are just, you know, absolutely beloved, and every day of their life is is sculpted, and they have training areas and stuff. And meanwhile, in Cameroon, the the people on the t- the guys on the team were dealing with civil war back home. You know, mm. it's like, is what is going to happen to my family? And so they've made a choice. They they picked Nigerian as his, um, mm-hmm. as the as the country he was from, which has um, r- long roots inside of, like the the soccer world and and that sort of thing. They have like a great uh, soccer tradition in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was really interesting how they how this character of Sam sort of I don't know. He's just God. He's Toy Jimo, man. He, <laughs> He's just—he's so good. I wish I—I'm I, so sorry if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. I tried. I tried to look. I tried to go right to the the heart of the matter, but I haven't heard heard back yet. But um, God, he's so good. Yeah, he and he's great in a way that this character, the goldfish character, could become grating very quickly. And he plays it in a way where not only is it not grating, and you're not like, oh, he forgot again. Oh, he's playing dumb again. Oh, he's not getting the point again. He's instead it just endearing as shit because nothing bothers him and he's delightfully sunshiny everywhere he goes i think he's great yeah delightful is right yeah so um he tries to i like that he was saying you know they all they all think the african guy is going to be the one really into this she's like oh i take it you're not he's like oh no no i really am but that's mostly for (laughs) loving harry potter i'm like what (laughs) then he goes into something that you wouldn't think so i don't know We, we can we can unpack this but He's like, do you know J.K. Rowling has more money than mm-hmm. the Queen? And he's like, I'd like the idea of someone becoming rich because of what they gave to the world, not just because of who their family is. And you see, mm-hmm. did you guys notice mm-hmm. Rebecca trying to trying to parse that mm-hmm. moment? Yeah. I, I I loved it. And I loved because if he had said it to comment on her, right, you've got a different scene on your hands. 
And it's not, and he actually doesn't even really begrudge anybody who's rich because their family is. I mean, he doesn't say they're disgusting or they're lazy or they're this or they're that. He just says, I like it. It's a little different than what I'm used to seeing in the world. And I like it. And there was just something, it made it so that whatever made your eyebrow go up, Rebecca, that's your stuff to work out. (laughs) Like the kid didn't do anything. And I think she knew he didn't do anything, but she, you know, he's kind of right. Like you had a million dollar painting that you tossed onto the, to the auction pile. Like that's your life. And I'm not sure that yeah. you like have changed the world in a way that merits that kind of wealth, but okay. Like that's where we are. So I, I, I like the way it played and and you needed somebody. If Roy makes that comment, it's gotta be loaded. Right. It's got like he's you don't buy that. He just innocently said it. But Sam, yeah, yeah, he's just a, you know, cute little puppy. Knows some things in the world. Yeah. No, I I think that he is just noticing things. He is commenting on what he likes. There's also a part of it that I like so much that, uh, you know, like I personally am sort of a, a dirty commie socialist Democrat, uh, you know, eat the rich down with capitalism. So I always think like the fact that there's a person who has as much wealth as the queen does is a problem. The fact that JK Rowling has more wealth than the queen, I'm not super down with, but what I like very much about Sam's perspective isn't the American form of capitalist where I like that they became rich because they earned it. But I like that uh, the idea of someone becoming rich because of what they gave to the world like the idea mm. that she, it wasn't that she worked so hard to write these books and she worked so much harder than everybody else that she deserves to be a billionaire. It's that she gave something to the world that was so valuable that she was rewarded in kind. And that it, it, you know, it still doesn't sit exactly right with me because they have more money than a lot of countries and that's a problem. But I like that that was what he saw in it, that she brought a bunch of joy to the world and that's what she was rewarded for. I love that I don't distinction. Think anyone... Sorry, gay okay, coach. Uh, no, I was just going to say I don't think anyone wants to hear her pinko views. Up in <laughs> Get out of here with that bullshit. Uh, right. <laughs> Rich people are job creators, fucker. Okay, <laughs> we all know that. That's it. I'm going to take my it's, Elizabeth it's... Warren painting and head home. That's oh funny. god no 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 that don't ever funny. don't ever take down Liz- lizzie god i love her yeah god, you, you're on with two warren fans the oh biggest god, the I biggest love we love her so, so much great. it's it's shameful we love her so much um okay so um coach yo you were gonna say something about that coach what were you saying i uh, lost the thread uh oh i think to the distinction around what she gave to the world not what she did or earned it I think is a really important distinction. I'm glad you brought it up, boss, because to me, that's the, that's the socioeconomic equivalent of, of Ted saying, I believe you can score more points and lose. I believe you can score fewer points than, and win. And, you know, he acknowledges that we won. To me, that's the same spirit. Um, it's what yeah. she added to the world, which is a, I, I just love that adding value is a real core thing of mine. So thanks for bringing that up. I think it's interesting that Sam was the one coach sent and this may, this could have been anyone. He could have said, Isaac, go on up there. He could have said, coach Beard, go on up there. He could have said Nate, but he sent Sam. And maybe because of that innocence, 
it's the only time I, I noticed a, a change in Rebecca. Maybe it's just me, but Sam says coach only thinks it works if the whole team is there. And Miss Welton, it's your team. So you have to be there. Wait, can I jump in? Do we know that he was sent? Because I didn't think yeah. that until exactly when you just said it. I thought Sam was looking at the situation and going, hey, nobody told Ms. Welton. I better go tell yeah. her. I didn't think she would. He, th- now, he might have been sent. I just think that's interesting. Yeah, no, I had that same read, Coach Bishop. Uh, I thought, especially, I don't want to jump too much ahead, but Ted's reaction when Rebecca came to the ceremony seemed a little surprised. I don't think that he thought for sure that she was definitely coming. And maybe he was just surprised because she said she wasn't going to, and then she was there. But I definitely took that, that Sam considered this is Rebecca's team. She needs to be there. No, no, no. You guys are wrong. Okay. Okay, So (laughs) it's fair. Just just stick with me. Okay. God. I I will say um, that I think, Sam saying, and after all, it's your team, is maybe the first time that in front of Rebecca, the team has been referred to as her team and not as Rupert's. I know that she asserted to Rupert that it's no longer his team, but I don't know how many times she's been, she has said, this is my team. Or someone said, right. does she, does she think team. about it in those terms, right? Yeah. Does she, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's an interesting sort of moment of excel anyway i thought it was I, I felt like um my read was he was sent and that you know he was like hey sam go hustle up there and see if you can get you can't get uh miss welton to come and then when when he was surprised when she walked in it was because she's miss welton and she's usually above it so I, that's what i thought um anyway it doesn't matter um sam says at least think about it for you sam i will there was this, th- listen, this is just me. It's just my personality and, and whatever things I like. I told you about the, the stupid things I like, mm-hmm. but awkward lines in shows. Just, I just love them so much. Mm. So Sam says, see you tonight. And Rebecca says, do you guys remember what she says at, to Sam? <laughs> she says, see ya. She says, see ya. It's like so out of character and so awesome. And like, it took the goldfish to, to pull that, whatever that, you know, easy colloquialism out of her is, I was just like, Oh, Sia is so great. It, it she just lost all her formality was just sort of tickled in general by the whole interaction. And right from being, you know, you're so lovely that obviously many men would be wanting a night mm-hmm, with you. And, mm-hmm. you know, all the, every single, he was not forceful. He wasn't pushy. He wasn't, you know, lecturing. Mm-hmm. There's no mansplaining in there. He's just adorable and, um, you know, really earnest and really wanted her there. And it ends with a see, which I really loved. Now, um, now we're in the scene, um, where, uh, where we're at the, we're at the midnight ritual and Ted Lasso is, by nature, a believer. Amen. What does that mean to you, Coach? Well, I mean, the beauty of it here is it gets into the spiritual stuff where obviously we're talking about the, the, the spirits and the story that we're, you know, that, that we've been told. Um, but think about the locker room, you know, think about the sign, think about how he's treated Nate the Great and, and he's got to see that play and, you know, why are you screaming Nate? And he is truly a believer. He believes in the people around him. He believes in getting the best. I mean, he is, he believes in people. He believe he's, I mean, even when he's, you know, when he gets asked a question about the ghosts in the, in the first episode, uh, when Rebecca says to him, do you believe in ghosts? 
He says, I think it's more important yeah. that they believe in themselves. I mean, first of all, my God, that's funny. And yeah, sec- but, that's so but, good. But second of all, it was truly a declaration of who this guy is. And I actually think that there's a part of him in sort of shrugging at the world and going, I can't tell you how this all works. There is a part of him that says, well, I'll tell you this. Whether ghosts are real or not, I can tell you they're not real if the ghosts don't think so. And I just yeah. kind of love that. I just kind of love it. Yeah. I I, I feel um, about Ted's belief sort of the same way that I feel about the concept of gratitude. Uh, in that it's been very, you know, it, not as much as uh, social sciences could be sort of scientifically proven. And they've done a lot of uh, surveys of people where people who feel gratitude are usually more content regardless of their mm-hmm. actual circumstance. Mm-hmm. So if you are, uh, if you're a, a rich megalomaniac who feels like the world owes you something and um, because we may or may not have had a black president for a while, you all of a sudden think that you are entitled to a role in power in the government. You for are instance. never going to be happy. For instance, just throwing out an example, maybe. <laughs> Uh, regardless of what you achieve, you are never mm-hmm. going to be happy. Mm-hmm. But if you are grateful that you have a house and enough food and enough clothes for right now, even if you don't have that much comparatively, you are going to be happier because you are happy for what you have. And so for me, that's sort of like, it isn't that there is something supernatural that Ted believes in that is aiding him. It's that he has this belief and that belief itself changes him and makes him a better person. That's great. Um, so, so yeah, he, he can't tell you, I really like the, I can't tell you what lives beyond our spiritual world and what doesn't. I just like that in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a man who's not afraid of anything who still hustles in real quick from the dark outside. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I always like try to, you know, my kids are like, oh, there's such thing as ghosts or there's such thing as monsters. I'm like, no, 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 not in the traditional sense. But, um, you know, I don't know. I've been around some weird stuff. <laughs> you know, like, right. I get creeped out sometimes. I get a, a weird feeling I can't place. My son, my pit, like, uh, my paleobiologist son would tell you that is, um, millions of years, literally millions of years of, uh, being chased on this planet. He's like the most honed thing we have mm. is fe- is fear because, uh, in the great many, many, like 150 million for 150 million years, if I'm getting, he's going to kill me if I get this wrong, but for 150 <laughs> million years, you had the synapsids and the seropsids and the seropsids. He's going to, I know I'm going to get this wrong, but the seropsids were the dinosaur, basically proto dinosaurs and mm. the synapsids were proto mammals and they had the upper hand for literally 150 million years and they so the thing that we were good at was running and it is ingrained in the human species after all this time to feel like a twinge of fear at the at the out you know just like eh, like have that little hmm. precog precognition you know from and it's just worked into us right so anyway i'm always like i don't know i don't know i don't i don't think there are ghosts or well, <laughs> not hundred percent sure about. As um, a okay. as a woman who has a uh, the night is dark and filled with terrors uh, light cover for her light switch, I support mm-hmm. everything you just said. Yeah, I love that. It's real, I love that. That's great. Um, so, um, 
the only thing that lasts forever is the wit and wisdom of Calvin and Hobbes, which is a nice, <laughs> nice reference. Um, and Rebecca jumps into the, um, the ceremony. And, and I think just, I just got a sense like the players mm-hmm. were psyched when, mm-hmm. when that happened. Did you guys get that feeling? Like they were like, wow, like this is legit now. Yeah, that's exactly how I would phrase it. It seemed to me that that made it real, um, in a, in, in a new way where we, right, are really doing this. And in a, in the context of Ted saying, you know, where I see it, we're all part of AFC Richmond. We're all team. Team's got a bond. Team's got a bond. And this is Rebecca joining in on the bonding where she passed specifically. They like handed out cake. Like who the fuck says no to, hey, want to come have some cake with us? Like, even if I hate you, like I had to really hate your guts that you're like, hey, want to enjoy some cake? And I'm like, no, I'm not eating cake with you. So like to have that be where she was and now she's joining them, I think is um a real step. And yeah, I think the guys all do feel it. It makes it, you know, we're really doing a thing now. I mean, she might just be team pie. I'm going to throw that out there. I would pass on cake, even if I really liked you, unless you're coming at me with an apple or a uh, pumpkin pie. I'm not right. interested. Good to bon, know. Bon, you won't, you won't believe this, but like I used to be even Steven on cake and pie. And uh, we just had a birthday party where we got some cake for my daughter. And I was like, Oh my God, I think I'm just team pie now. Like, it's it's much better, just objectively. Pie is su- yeah. superior. Yeah. No, I think I'm getting there, which is I'm like, oh my god, like it's such a weird, you know. I I was like, I always like cake. I don't love icing, but I, you know, I like I like the inside of the cake usually. And but now I'm just like, oh, this would just be better if it was a pie. You mm-hmm. guys are guiding me to something that may be what's so special about my personal favorite cake, which is of course pineapple upside down cake. Which is oh, as long as okay. we're deciding what to believe in in the world. Pineapple upside down cake kind of proves there's a God, if we're honest, if we're really facing facts. So, yeah. But so I think there's I think there's a pie spirit. Yes. Pineapple upside down cake that needs to be acknowledged. It's the same reason why carrot cake is actually surprisingly good, even though it's made of carrots and cake. Still not bad. Mm hmm. I, I love carrot cake. Absolutely. Love I think the, I get hung up because the cheesecake is my jam. And I don't know. I don't know where. Is it a pie or is it a cake? Well, that's it says yeah. cake. Oh, it, it says it's cake, but it's a pie. Mind. It's a pie, right? It's definitely a pie. Yeah, 100%. So one thing I love about this scene, um, we're again, Ted Lasso uh, podcast, um, <laughs> is um, anytime, you know, like in any sport, when you need something done, Coach, I know you'll back me up on here. Yeah. We just love like a, a really, really good um third down scat back you mm-hmm. know like when you need third and 12 mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. got to get Darren Sproles in there you just you know like a really like you know somebody that's just great at that they're just such a beloved character in in baseball it's like you know a guy that's got a lot of RBIs like no matter what he's going to go up and 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 hit a triple and knock some people home right, right. when this show needs something when they need a couple of RBIs they call on Roy Kim. yes Yes. I mean, he is he is the anchor and and just as an actor, I mean, he kills it every time. So when he gets this started, he starts to talk about he starts to talk about his blankie. And I was like, oh. did you just say blankie? And he goes, I was fucking nine. Say something. <laughs> oh. oh my god, say something. Say something. He's going to get in a fight <laughs> at, 
at the seance. I'm Roy Kent, and I get paid to play a game, and I'm angry all the time. Right, girl, right. Absolutely. And I, what I love, too, about that moment, though, is it does set a tone, right? And it says, we're, this is not a space where, and I just thought of this in real time with you here, but this is not a space where we're going to be cool. We're yeah. not going to be cool. And so if you got a blankie, you got a blankie and and we're going to talk about it and we're going to be real about it. And we're all going to admit that at some point we were all a scared nine year old. If it happened that we were seven or 13 or 35 or 40 something losing our wife, we've all had a moment where all we had was our, our freaking blankie, whatever that turned out to be. And so I, I, I think it works on the on the first level, but it also sets a tone like. It's it's the equivalent of him standing up in the pub. It's him saying, no, we're really going to do this. I'm in. Ted asked us to do this. I brought my blankie, by the way. So, like, I'm giving something up here. I don't know. There was something it it, it said to, to me. It said this is going to be a real ceremony. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And it made me think of, um, you know, speaking of this, a Ted Lasso, uh, podcast, I'll make this, I'll try to make this quick, but it made me think of a group I used to, I used to sing in actually. I used to do, um, a lot of acapella singing when I was in college. And we ended up creating, uh, my junior and senior year, this group. It was all black men and we sang gospel music. And, um, there's a whole story behind that and why it came to be, but it did come to be. And we had, um, without saying anything that shouldn't be said outside the group, we had this ceremony. And I still remember being in a room with these guys and I can tell on myself or tell my own. And we all were talking about a lot of different things and about the group and what brought us together and all this kind of stuff and what was really binding us. Uh, it was a really incredibly tight group. And I, it was one of the first times that I, in front of other people, like in front of my peers, talked about depression. And talked about feeling depressed and how hard it had been. And it just happened that right before we did that, like I'd really been in the midst of like a really bad bout of it my, my in college, my senior year. And there was something amazing. Like here's this group of, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old guys always busting chops, always having a good time, laughing at everything. And these guys, I like... In this space, like I literally cried in front of these guys and told them what it was like, and nobody busted my balls. Nobody ever brought it up later. Like, oh yeah, like it. It was a sanctified space, and that's magic, man. Like being in a space like that. Anybody who's had an opportunity to do it, I know different people with stuff like Coach mentioned. You know, fraternities and and I don't know what organizations you've each been a part of, or even groups of friends. But when everybody either officially or it happens informally decides, all right, we're putting down all the bullshit pretense and we're going to really be real with each other for a moment. Um, that's, I don't know. It was beautiful. I, yeah, I dug on this scene. It reminded me of several key moments in my life. This, this scene really, uh, packed a, packed a punch for me. I do an inordinate amount of crying during this half hour comedy. <laughs> Which I think it's probably crazy. needs to be addressed. I, I think I think um, I can jump in here for boss, and on behalf of both of us, I'm pretty sure you would win Sundance with the story of a all male black acapella Ivy League singing group <laughs> with a code of secrecy yes. that you won't breach 20 years later on a podcast. Yes. I'm just saying. 
There's something to that. Yeah. No, I don't, and, I, and I, every word of it true. Sorry, sorry, boss. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I don't want to talk about Ted Lasso anymore. I just want you to tell us as much as you feel yes, seriously. comfortable us telling back. us about that. That's, bum, 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 bum. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Let's see if I can egg you into something. All right. Listen, I'm not above making fun of you. There All right, you let's go. go. Uh, that was great. I love that. Um, I I think that uh, again, super charming. The Ted uh, that um, sorry, Sam is the, his donation is the 1994 Nigerian mm. World Cup team. Mm-hmm. I think that's just awesome. Um, I, 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 by the way, I love the line from Roy after he says, "I was fucking nine. Say something." Did you say blanket? No, I said blanket. Conversation over. Sam, go. <laughs> I'm like, that is so great. So Roy. Um, so then uh, Sam does his thing. Mm-hmm. Richard's, uh, you know, the beach in St. Bart where he first slept with a supermodel. I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, God. Yep. Sa- and then and then Ted's like, Sam and Richard coming at you from both ends of the spectrum there. I appreciate that. <laughs> Wait, but uh, let us not skip over Colin saying, be thankful. Just be th- grateful that it happened. Yes. I yes. laughed so loud. I was like, these guys are such idiots, but oh I love God. every single one of them. That was great. Men are, men are so simple. Speaking of which, mate's most cherished possession. This may be the saddest. <laughs> okay, so this, this listen, uh, you guys laugh, but it may be the worst moment of the entire show <laughs> if you think about it. There's this, um, I gotta, I'm gonna send you guys this song. There's this one song that I play sometimes. Um, Oh God, I can't remember the artist. She's great. Her voice is unbelievable. She sings a song and it's about a woman who's looking at a man and she's like, you know, I think about doing all these dirty things with you, um, but you've basically chosen to do them with someone else. And so I'm going to put away all these dirty thoughts. I'm just going to put them away. And I always think like, when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, that's so hot. Like, and and Juliana's like, no, no, this is the saddest song I've ever heard that she's got to put these away and that that like... This dynamic, and I'm like, okay, so I kind of see this Nate moment in that way, where I, or I, his most treasured possession is uh, is sunglasses that a girl once said he looked like Clive Owen in, and I was like, oh my god, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But isn't it? Is it? It feels like an extension of him being so happy to be part of the group of guys talking about women, right? I mean, like it's it's it's. Here's this guy who's not had very many cool moments, right? Like he, 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 he doesn't have a Jamie history to point back to and say, Oh, I've changed now. Now I'm Nate, but I used to be Jamie. Like he's never been yeah. Jamie and he'll never right, be right, Jamie. No. And, and those sunglasses, like <laughs> I was like, but put, wow. put himself in, put himself, put yourself in, in Nate's shoes in his room. Okay, mm-hmm. L- that we don't know that he doesn't share with someone or something. You know, we don't know what right. his room looks like. Right. And right. We know he's great with his niece. We, I think he, we know he lives with his parents because he borrows his dad's. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I don't remember exactly what his dynamic is, mm-hmm. but uh, like or his home dynamic. But like, imagine him looking around his room and then, you know, his gaze sets upon the glasses and he's like, "No, I, I couldn't possibly." Do. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then he he drums up the courage, and it's like it's got to be this thing because you have to do something you treasure, and this is what he treasures. And then at the moment where he's got to throw them in, he 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 pulls back. He almost can't do it. <laughs> oh, I loved it. my god! Loved it's it. so God. I love this show. Anyway. You know, wait. This is interesting because this is one of the first times where coming at the show from a female perspective has apparently. Mm. 
uh, blinded me to aspects of this because I still remember in great detail the corduroy navy blue peacoat winter jacket that I had that I wore to a wrestling meet that the coach's middle son, who was in college when I was a sophomore in high school or whatever, a few years older, super hot, really good looking. And when I came into the gym, he like looked over and very casually said, oh, nice jacket at me. And I was like, I'm never throwing this thing away. This is, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting I'm going to go home and staple this to myself. Thank you. I, I didn't talk to him at all. I just knew who he was because he was attractive. And I was wow. like, this, this is my wedding dress now. Is, is what this is. This is so for me, that was just kind of like, oh yeah, when, when you look good and uh, when you look good in a thing, you're going to want to hang on to it. So Rebecca jumps in and tosses uh, a paper into the, into the bucket. And Ted said, is that today's paper? And she says, there's something in there about me as usual. And I'm trying not to care. And everybody sort of nods because they're all apparently I wasn't sure if all the soccer players would be or football players would be aware of her of her situation. But they all seem to nod and then uh, tell us what she says there, boss. Fuck the haters. And then everybody nods and agrees. And I'm like, oh, man, isn't this such a in this world? Is there anything that I mean, we all can relate to? <laughs> Fuck the haters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. I don't think I would have. I don't think that would have resonated 25 years. Ago. No, absolutely no. not. And, and what I love about it is it's a way of being real, right? Like what, what to me, fuck the hate. Cause she could have said some, you know, I'm sure there's 10 English phrases, one more interesting than the next that captures something of what is being said there. But in that context, like we're not putting our nose in the air and we're not stiff upper lipping it any more than sort of on the, but we're, like that's what she really means. I felt like that was like a dropping of the mask for a moment or an attempt to, at the very least um, reach in that direction. Um, So I liked, I liked that about fuck the haters, but yeah, no, I think that the Ted says word, she says, fuck the haters. And he (laughs) says word. He says word. What in the world is happening right now? I laughed so hard, but I mean, isn't fuck the haters. I mean, isn't this a, this whole show are recrimination against haters. And if this were show were branded differently, couldn't it be Ted Lasso and with subtitle, fuck the haters. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't isn't this about, I would have been more inclined to watch. Yeah, no, no. That would have pulled us in a little bit more in the beginning. Um, but I thought that was great. That was a great well, moment. Well, we also find don't, out- don't skate don't skate past that, by the way, because what do we have on on the plane, on the way over? Before he sets foot, he's got your your mental. And he yeah. says, you know, I've heard that tune before, I'm still dancing. So I think you're onto something there. That what we have to do is ignore the haters and we have to keep it moving and do what we got to do. I think, yeah, I think that's well, more well, you, part you of the jumped in when I said this wouldn't have happened 25 years ago. Why? Were there no haters years ago? Or is it that their mechanism of conveyance of information has become so simple that they feel like they're more prominent? I mean, what is why are there so many haters now as opposed to what there used to be? It's interesting you say it because where, where I went when you said that, I think your point's an interesting one. We'll come right back to it. But where I went when you said that was the way language has crossed over and culture has crossed over. Because fuck the haters strikes me as like some pretty black 
like at its core and origin and whatever way of way of putting that. And so that's what like I so that's where that's what I thought. What, what do you meant. think of what's like, your first? Would what's that your woman first? be aware of that? Coach, what's your first? Okay, you 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 feel like that comes from like a sort of black community kind of thing. Yeah. What, I, I'm not saying it doesn't. I, what is your first earliest memory of like a hater or, or somebody or that don't hate? I just remember saying, I remember telling people not to hate, and it was always very like dust your shoulders off. Like, um, I remember, I don't know, I wish I could remember what song it was from, but there's a line that says, "If I was you, I would hate me too." And I just think that's a fantastic line. I've thought it a million times over the years. And it's just, I just think like, so to me, that's the energy of when you talk about haters. It's like, you're beneath me. Like, stop worrying about hating me and go live your life. Um, But yeah, if I was you, I would hate me too. Kind of captures the spirit of that. And I would think that was like that concept, but maybe in college, maybe just a slightly after college when it really took hold. So that'd be like mid nineties, early nineties. Um, I mean, it yeah. feels like there's more haters now than there ever used to be. I feel like it's just because it's easier. Well, social media. More, yeah. yeah, I think that's what it is. And and somehow there's no – what we talked about no honor left in the world or whatever. We've, we've alluded to this before. But like in some ways, I you know, hater, being a hater is one of those things where I'm not sure everybody who is a hater knows they're a hater. So there's a whole, Correct. whole other thing around there. Um, okay. We find out Higgins' cat has died. Um, wait, hold on. Uh you have anything to say about that, boss, before I trudge merrily onward? No, but I want to make sure that we talk about Higgins' cat dying. Yes. Higgins' cat. What is Higgins' cat? Uh, we, you know, he said whose impending death will will mm-hmm. destroy him. Mm-hmm. And we find out that that she has died. And what was her name, boss? Well, he says, I'm going to miss you, Cindy Clawford. <laughs> so another supermodel reference, but an entirely different Cindy, different vibe. Cindy Clawford is up there with uh, Ned Bark in terms of I'm not going to have any pets, but I wish that I did because then I would name my dog Eddard Bark. Yeah. That's Cindy Clawford is amazing. That's great. I listen, I don't know if you guys caught this, but Isaac throws in the, the quote unquote only pen he can write his name with. What does that mean? <laughs> what? I laugh every time, but I don't know what it means. I laugh every time. What? He is throwing away his ability to write his name. (laughs) It's Isaac. I mean, I cackled. I'm like, what? And then it makes that ridiculous sound. I mean, Isaac, talk about character development for a guy that, Mm -hmm. again, we all say, you know, no small actors. I mean, Isaac just, man, he kills it. Um, Then we have the montage of everybody else. Writing, uh, sorry, throwing everything in. Um, genius Colin throws in the keys to his Lamborghini, and Beard asks him how he's getting home, and <laughs> get that great react, great reaction shot. Um, and it has everybody gone. No, because in the back of the room, who shows up, boss? Jamie. Jamie shows up. He and you know he has been breaking through in small ways to make me not hate him as much as I did in the very beginning. This was obviously a big one. Um, he talks about, he brings a pair of boots and he talks about how they're not the ones that his uh, mom bought for him, but that when he started playing soccer, his mom just wanted him to go out there and have fun and be a good lad. Back when he was just a little sexy baby, she just wanted mm-hmm. him to have fun while he was doing it. I love that because mm-hmm. he obviously started out as a very little sexy baby. Oh my God. And also there are not a lot of people who could use the phrase sexy baby and it doesn't come off super weird. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so true. Luckily Jamie Tart is one of them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks about how after he became famous for being good at soccer, his dad came back around and that his dad essentially abused him into never showing softness and always being tough and always being hard. And that's what he did. And so now he's gotten to a point where he thinks more about making sure that his dad doesn't think of him as soft than his mom is proud of him. And it's such a sad scene, Mm -hmm. like, especially in comparison to, I was thinking about how, um, when Roy was saying that he'd been scouted by Sunderland. And so he was going up there when he was nine, when he first said it, I thought like, why are you going to start training a kid to play soccer when he's nine? And then he says, and I didn't see my grandpa again because he died became, before I came home for Christmas. And I thought, oh, holy shit, you had to move away from home when you were nine. Like mm, the right, British, right. the British are so mean to their children. They keep sending them <laughs> off to like haunted magical castles and places to play soccer and they don't get to stay home. And I don't understand it. Wow. Seriously, even Harry Potter was 11. Even Harry Potter was 11. I don't think it's a coincidence that Harry Potter is mentioned in this episode now that you put all that together. I didn't put that together. I think they laid that up for us so we (laughs) could really experience it. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. That's some like David Copperfield level shit of just like, oh my God, what are you doing to that poor small child, Mm. England? Um, But I thought about the difference between Jamie and Roy now. And it is, you know, I could imagine that Roy's grandpa giving him that blanket. I don't think Roy's grandpa was going to be an overly affectionate, super sweet, caring, grandfatherly type. I think he probably was slightly older, maybe gruffer Roy Kent. Mm. But he showed him the kindness and the affection and gave him a blanket so that he'd be warm and so that he would have something from home to take with him when he had to go off being scared because he was fucking nine mm-hmm. and Jamie didn't have that. And I think now Roy can open himself up to what Ted is teaching him the same way that he could open himself up to Phoebe in ways that Jamie isn't able to because Jamie's whole thing is never being soft. It's such a prison. And I know that, you know, I'm not the first person to, to realize that, but I think it's an important part of what we watch happen in the show those who are trapped in that model, you know, whether it's not being soft or it's Roy earlier in all this saying, you know, I'm just going to be aloof and over it. And, and like those who are trapped in that paradigm, it it is damaging. Damage was done to Jamie. Yeah. And he turned around and he did damage to Sam. And, you know, we, we'll see where that ends or if it ends. But I think it's important. A lot of times when we talk about toxic masculinity or whatever, it has an impact on women, certainly. There's all sorts of things, but I don't think that we often think enough about the damage it does to the people who are most steeped in it. Um, And yeah, I mean, here's this guy who ultimately is just a kid wanting to please his dad, and if that means insulting Sam, he's going to do it, but when you put it in that context, I get it. Yeah, I think it's part of why, as they've you know, peeled back the layers on Jamie the same way that they've done on Nate. I've He's become somebody that I empathize with. I still don't like him as much, much mm-hmm. as I like some of the other characters, but mm-hmm. I get it. Like, hurt people hurt people. Yes. And so he was abused his entire life. And what he thinks, you know, what his dad taught him is that the way that you get affection and respect and safety 
is by not letting anybody hurt you and by being the man who can hurt anybody else. So like when that's what you're taught, that's what you're going to do. Hell, that's how I've made it this far. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So no I, zips, no hoodie, no, 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 gravite. no gravite. Right. Got to um, take your shirt um, off. I, uh, I did think of a story and it, it, it really connected to this as, as we know, I'm going to say it one more time, totally plagiarized my soul. And for that, they should be punished. <laughs> but, but I had a, a group of kids early on. They really hadn't played. They didn't understand. And my whole thing with defense is like team defense. Like I, I want you to make great plays, but if everybody does their job, nobody's got to be amazing. Cause we're just going to be an amazing team. Like that's the way I view it. And the kids just weren't getting the whole thing. Like it wasn't just, they weren't getting like the technical piece of it. They just weren't getting like, we have to be committed together to playing defense. And, and so I had them all bring in and I swear this really happened. I can produce the kids to tell you it happened. They all had to bring in something that they really cared about. And I had them all put the stuff in a bag. And then I took the bag and I put the bag in the end zone. And I said, protect your things. Play. Oh, you're a good coach. Can you be my coach? Can we, can we go back and you just coach me? I would be such a better person. Dear God. Yeah, that's a oh, real story. So when he had them I toss some stuff that. in, I was I like, oh, that. my God. But, yeah, no, that's a real story. I told him, protect your things. I still remember that. Remember that I was the one that turned you on to this show? Just want to, you know. A hundred percent. And and it only took you, I don't know, 20 years to be at all a positive influence in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I got there. But you got I got there. There you go. There you go. Damn it. You're, okay. you're like Higgins with that phone. Oh, oh, he That's... got it. All right. <laughs> oh, man. I wish. I wish I was cool as Higgins. Um, <laughs> I loved in the Jamie speech that he says, I hated that. Mm-hmm. I actually fucking hated that. Mm-hmm. I really loved that moment. Mm-hmm. So Phil Dunster, great. And I want to call out, um, I keep saying the actors' names because I think it's important. Um, Cola Bocchini is who played Isaac. And um, he just kills it. God, I love that name, Cola Bocchini. Mm-hmm. Jesus, that's a, that's a good name. Uh, right? This is like, it's like a, it's like singing a song. It's such a beautiful name. And, um, but he, Isaac, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Isaac as the show goes on, but um, I just like, just like everything about him and, and, and what they do with him. And um, I just think it's great, but I love that moment where he says, I hated that. I actually fucking hated that. Just the, that Jamie took the time to sort of, you see him working through mm-hmm. it, you know, right in the moment. And it's so powerful. Um, so Ted goes to burn it. And Rebecca's, I don't know. Do you guys yes, see Rebecca? She looks about, horrified. Yeah. It's hysterical. Yeah. Uh, Hannah Waddingham, I mean, just her facial expressions on this show. I, it's like her, just her face can win, win an Emmy on this. Cause mm-hmm. um, and then, uh, of course, uh, what does Beard say, boss? Maybe we should do this part outside. Yeah, so funny. <laughs> he's got like tension in his voice. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a better. I lo- love that he that Ted needs him. So outside, um, we find out the, the eagle has landed and Ted does what coach what does he ask the spirits for he asked the spirits for a sign oh spirit speak to us and here comes who danny rojas danny rojas he he runs in totally healed um 
he brought a bottle of mezcal to throw into the curse fire. <laughs> I love the word curse fire. That is the, that's a great name for a band, but also just so cool. And um, now you have this moment of bonding that's just fantastic. And Jamie, of all people, hey, 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 Rojas, look, whatever ghosts it were that made you trip over, they're gone now, I promise you. And he says, crack that bastard open. Yep. And a bunch of people say, yeah, boy. And then here's the key thing. Roy Kent says, Jamie's not wrong. Uh, what else does he say, coach? Ghosts prefer empty bottles that we've all drunk. I mean, they are on the same page. It's great. I mean, this is it. This is the Ted Lasso process. The Lasso way, we finally see it taking hold. Danny Rojas says, let us celebrate, amigos. And what does Rebecca say, boss? Says, that is a team united. And we're finally here. We finally made it. We are, what, six episodes in. It took Ted. I mean, yeah. We weren't sure we were going to get here. Mm-hmm. Ted was was sure, but I think even he doubted. You're trying to figure out ways to motivate Jamie. Um, when when we first in, intro Jamie from Nate on the sideline, he says, oh, he's great at soccer. And Ted says, yeah, I know guys like that. He knew it was an uphill battle, mm-hmm. but you need a beat. Like he had to tough love, had to pull him off the field, you know, had to have Jamie walk right by him without shaking his hand in front of, what, 80,000 people, 100,000 people. So it all was worth it to get to this point. Yeah, and I and I by the way, and there's a an interesting piece with alcohol in this show where you know I I think it's alcohol is depicted somewhat honestly, um, in a way it's not after school specially, but it's also not without some like consequence and other stuff that goes with it. And and but I will say in this scene, there's something absolutely magical when everyone's hanging out. And celebratory and just decides we are drinking together. That is what we are doing. That is the activity. Um, and like the laughing, if it's a singing the song together in the key of X at the top of your lungs, whatever it is. Um, I don't know. I was transported to several times in my life where it was just hanging out with the, you know, oftentimes the fellas, but a lot of times they're, you know, women, men, whoever, but just being in that group when uh, everybody decides, yeah, whatever just happened or whatever we're in the middle of, we're collectively going to tie one on and just have a really good time together. I, I So anyway, I, I appreciated that as a part of this. Yeah. I've never had anyone like me, so. <laughs> But it sounds it's, it sounds fun. It sounds great. I mean, I don't know what you guys are doing after the podcast, but I mean, we don't have to. It's I mean, it's totally. Anyway, what are, what are you going to say, boss? I was just going to say that I uh, I worked at a catering company when I was in college, and one of the first things that we would do a month or so in to the school year was have our bar crawl. And plenty of people got wasted. We were in college and we were stupid and we drank irresponsibly. But it didn't occur to me until I was like running the bar crawl my junior year that part of this was that we were all going to have to work in very close quarters and like sit in kitchens shoulder to shoulder with each other for a couple of hours while we were waiting for people to finish up whatever stupid party they were having so we could clean up and go home because we needed to study for a test. And that part of doing this drinking, celebratory, bonding thing early in the year meant that people would be less likely to get pissed off and quit later. So I think that there's really something to that, that like 
you do something super fun up front, even if it's not the best idea, because then later, even when you hate the person that you're supposed to be working with, you're not going to hate them forever. Because you remember how much fun you had at karaoke at Whitehorse or whatever. Great point. Really great point. That's that's the also the concept around weddings. Yeah, man. Got to <laughs> drink during those. About to sign your life away. Actually, I hope that's not the concept. <laughs> that's ter- kind of terrifying. Had, um, so I, I, one of my the joke I loved telling that completely fell flat. I was best man my cousin's wedding, and I said that you know people get very excited about weddings. They don't necessarily think as much about marriage. There's a big difference between weddings and marriage, and that's that weddings are fun. <laughs> and, oh Jesus! And. May, was was that the right setting for that joke? I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> Literally one woman. And, and we're still friends because I sought her out. I was like, I love you. She like one woman in that room cackled laughing. Everyone else stared at me like I was the embodiment of the devil. But I still argue that's a quality joke. I still that argue t- it. Tough room. She was your Paul. She was the one. Remember Paul from the... Um from the pub who laughed yes, at the yes. one guy. Absolutely laughed. right. Absolutely that's right. That's it. Uh, that's great. That's tough, tough room. Um, now we have a little bookmark, book, sort of a, sort of a uh, bookend of the moment where Ted in the Trey Krim episode, Trent Krim episode, um, Ted has a thing where he doesn't take credit for other people's great ideas. Mm. And so he was like, no, that, that, uh, that play is from my man, Nate, the great over there. He gives people credit where yes. credit is deserved. And now we have a bookend where he gives Higgins the proper credit in front of Rebecca for coming up with the Danny Rojas reveal. Yeah. It was my man Higgins idea not to tell the team and Rebecca, you know, Ooh. like, if, yeah, the the temperature drops thirteen degrees, and she says, "Is that right? Putting the team first, eh, Higgins?" And what what does he say, uh, boss? He says, "Yeah, I suppose I am." And the thing is, it's it's man, it's such a good show. Not just because it feels great, but sometimes it presents you with these scenes because. Rebecca is doing wrong objectively from the standpoint of the show. You want Ted to succeed. You like that the team is united. You want them to win. You don't want them to face relegation. But also Higgins has betrayed her again. Like why Mm. she was pissed at him in the first place is because he picked the team and he picked Rupert over whatever Mm. friendship or relationship he had with her. And he is doing that again. Like he might have different justification and he might be able to make his case a little bit better in this instance, but he did the same thing to her and she knows. That's a great, that's a great point. But once, but once like the press labels you as quote unquote old, doesn't it mean like it's just open season? <laughs> yeah, maybe no. I'm just not getting this show. I don't know. Jesus. No, no, everybody can betray her. It's fine. Um, so 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 they rev- they invite her, you know the 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 gang, the team waves him over. Come on, coach, and he says, um, you know he tr- Ted invites Rebecca, and she respectfully declines. She's she's all huffy about the Higgins thing, but also she's not there. And Ted says, "Hey, Higgins, come in with me." And he's you can see he's tarred. And then what does Rebecca say to him, boss? Oh shoot! Off you go. Yeah, oh, off it. you go. Which is. Yikes. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, man. It's like a forked tongue. 
you know, slipping out after him. It's just, man, oof. That's, that life's just tough. So, sorry, go ahead, boss. I, I was just going to say that's um, that's the line that you get when you do something wrong at the grocery store and your mom says, we'll talk about this at home. And you're like, yes. ah, I fucked up. I yes. fucked up. <laughs> that's a great comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely yeah. had that. Oof. It's coming. Yeah. It, and that I like that that was the feeling at the end of it. Like, you knew she was not done. I mean, before we see what we're about to discuss, but you knew she was not done with the fact that he had done that. <clears throat> One thing that struck me was he said that Ted says it's a lot warmer over there by the fire. And I was remembering a sermon that my, my reverend did. I, certain things just stick with you. And he talked about the importance of coming to church that yes, we each can have our, our relationship with God. But his point at that moment was that part of why we come to church is that you're like, uh, you're like a coal. And when you're in the fire, you can maintain your heat, but removed from the fire, it's very difficult to maintain your heat. So I think it was not that they had ever heard that sermon specifically, but I thought visually there was something fascinating about watching her like, nope, I'm off to be cold again. Mm -hmm. I will not be warmed by the fire. I am choosing specifically not to do that. Um, So I thought that was, I thought that was powerful. And yeah, everybody else was soaking up the warmth. There's also this dynamic where the coach enters the thing. He has a different status than the group. Right. And he enters and he's like, hey, well, what do we what do we got going on here? Like it's like this mm-hmm. like dad coming mm-hmm. into the thing, like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, cool dad's gonna have a beer with us. Like, right. you know, there's like that vibe to it. Yep. And then I will point your attention to one episode ago when Ted was standing exactly as close as he's standing to Jamie in this circle. And Jamie had raised his hands above his head, oh. sang Jamie tart, 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 tart mm-hmm. and hip thrusted at his coach. <laughs> oh, and now it comes into the circle and Jamie leads the lads on a rousing uh, refrain of Richmond till we die. And I was like, this is wow. crazy good. Right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. It was on target. And, and it's, I mean, it's the ultimate me, we, well, I guess he says us, uh, Ted says us, me, we is, is the chant I do with my kids, but it was an ultimate, it's an ultimate me, we transformation. Yeah, we know, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so yeah, I thought, yeah, that's a, that's a powerful shift and a believable shift because it's fast, but it's not fast because we're watching Jamie feel it and resist it. And, and that's how we change, right? We don't usually just, truly execute the whole change in one minute. And and so it was, I don't know, I, I bought it here, even though you're right, that was one episode ago. I hadn't thought of it that way. So we, go ahead, go ahead, boss. I was just going to say, I think, um, I think he does get it. I think he does feel it. I think I'm not going to try to give all of the credit to Roy Kent just because I love him. But <laughs> I think there's an aspect of Jamie where, even though he is supposed to be the franchise player and the team leader, he is desperate for human connection. And once his friends physically start moving away from him because of the practice thing, it's only a matter of time before he's going to figure out that he needs to either join them or be on his own. And he's not going to be on his own. Like, I think he does get it, but I think that that's just tapping into who he is. He needs to be with his people. 
I would love to see the storyboards for this particular series. I don't know if they exist or not. Some some directors do it, some don't. Um, but the series cinema, cinematography, the DPs that were working on this series are uh, David Rom and, and John Sorapure. And I don't know who shot this this episode. I haven't looked it up. But I know that that beautiful shot of Rebecca walking Ooh. away and – we paint, you know, we rack focus to her dropping the coat and walking inside. And I was like, okay, Ted knows. Oh, see, I, you know I what I mean? I was like, I was like, okay, he know he's got it. He's been suspicious and, 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 and we'll find out, you know, as we talk more about this next episode, but I was like, okay, he's, that's it. That has, she just gave up her tell. He, he knows now she's not one of them. He's figured that out now, but, but, whether or not she has, we'll have to wait till next episode to, to figure it out. I thought, yeah, he knew he knew something, right? And I think that's part of Ted's power is Ted, if I'm Ted in that situation, I make up a whole narrative, right? And maybe I nail it, maybe I'm way off, but I make up a whole narrative. She's mad about this thing or she's mad about that. Like I fill in all the blanks. What he knows is she didn't join us. She's upset. Something's not right here, but I don't see him doing things that say he's decided what's wrong. He's just he just notes it, and I think there's but something she drops that about coat that. though. No, right? no, no, she, she no, no, no. But I'm saying he notices that she does it, but he doesn't decide. That, oh, he doesn't come to some conclusion about it. He doesn't say like this is why she dropped her coat. Obviously, us all being together, she's not liking. That doesn't seem right. But I don't see him like deciding what it means as much as observing it. And for, and I'm, I'm sure thinking he'll go up there again with those biscuits and just keep, you know, dunking that tough cookie in milk. So it could be, it could be, right, dunking that, right. You dip it in milk. Um, <laughs> um, so, so realistically, he could, it could be like, oh, maybe she's like, I just want to hang out with a bunch of drunk football. She's the right. only woman here. Maybe it's right. like whatever. So you're saying she hasn't. Made a made it or he hasn't made a determination about it. Boss, the next morning, what is the atmosphere in the clubhouse like when Ted gets to work the next morning? Oh, everybody's in love. Everybody loves each other. It's it it is as close to cliched as the show gets. Yeah. In terms of showing a bunch of younger, physically fit men horsing around with each other. And like I think at one point, uh, Ted actually grabs a water bottle or something out of the air, a ball. Yes. That somebody was tossing to somebody else and he's like, Oh, I got you there. And then he tosses it himself. Like it is a teen spirit commercial. Love it. And then that is that whole vibe is dispelled seconds later. When what happens boss? When beard looks at him, beard looks at him. And then Ted storms into Rebecca's office and Jamie has been traded. Jamie's uh, been recalled by man city. He's gone. And everything that, Ted has built from the night before feels like it might be slipping away. Can I, I just want to jump in and say again, because I don't think there's wasted motion by the look on Beard's face. Ted can see he's out of aces. Just saying, just saying there's the game. <laughs> oh. Just saying. Just saying. By the look on your face and see you're out of aces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the look on your face and see you're out of aces. He sees it. He doesn't, I, I don't, you know, obviously we know he must have filled in the blanks, but he knows something's wrong immediately and it's bad. So, and we don't even need to hear that. It. If we follow that analogy, that would make Ted the gambler and Beard the. No, that make well, yeah, that makes, yes, that makes exactly right. Ted's the gambler and Beard is, is, the, is the one singing the song at that. Or no, flip that. 
the the guy sitting singing the song is the one who's out of aces. So, yeah. Got it. Got it. So he storms into Rebecca's office and it's a different tone than he's had with Rebecca before. And she's not all that appreciative about the tone. But at some point, this had to come to some form of a head. Mm-hmm. And what what did you make of this scene, boss? I thought, man, I hate to talk any shit about my girl, but I think Rebecca at this point is maybe trying to sabotage herself more than the team. I think that there is a level that she is buying into what Ted says and buying into what Ted says means not only will she have to actually try to keep the team from being relegated, but she's going to have to move past her anger and resentment and what she's been holding on to out of the divorce with Rupert. You can't really be a part of Ted's team. You can't buy into the lasso way and hold on to things like that. And I don't think she's ready at this point to give up on seeing some sort of revenge as far as she can tell some sort of justice and get giving up on feeling that angry. And so She's I think so, it, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just like loving what you said and thinking like, she's so invested in being a lion that she forgets to be a goldfish. Yes. And it's absolutely. really powerful. Well, even if you think about it, so what Ted's, what about the pandas though? We forgot pandas. In there. <laughs> oh, wait, Ted's, Ted's the eternal panda. That's um, right. Um, even if you think about what Ted says is, um, I want you to go home and get something that's valuable to you. And what Rebecca brings is the newspaper that talks about her being old Rebecca. And so it's not necessarily that she values that because it means a lot. to It's not something that she feels good about. It's not her blanket. It's not something that she has a positive attachment to, but she has an incredibly strong attachment to what has happened to her, how she has been wronged, her feelings of anger and needing justification for that. This is why we brought you onto the show, boss, because you're the smart one. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. As I, as I wipe the drool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Co- Coach, and I are just, Coach and I are just nodding like, oh, uh, we're going to throw a football or? Uh... <laughs> no, that's so, great. So smart. I have seven and a half semesters of an English degree. Almost eight, bitch. Then I gave up. Uh. Um, All right, so um, so yeah, so you thought wrong. She she tells him, you know, you should maybe leave before you say something you're going to regret. And he gets ready to storm out, but gives her the biscuits Mm. that he made, and and he's tortured because it's the best match yet. (laughs) I finally cracked the recipe. (laughs) He he is hysterical. Uh, It's a great moment. Like I said, they all do such a great job of. We're putting a button on all of the all mm-hmm. of the great scenes. Mm-hmm. Tribute to uh, Jason Sudeikis and Brennan Hunt and Joe Kelly, who who developed and came up with this and uh, worked worked it and needed the concept before Bill Lawrence showed up. And um, you know you have you have this really rough moment where they're sitting back in their office, and of course it's Danny Rojas, and this was just a beautiful moment. And he says, coach, and they all pause for a second. And what does he say, coach? Football is life. And it sounds different that time when he says it. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, for me, that's when I, I really found myself going into like, oh, it really is though. I mean, it, like, 
it's all it's all there. I think that's part of why we love sports. I know it's part of why I love sports. I mean, in a three hour game, you know, whether you're watching basketball or you watch football, or you're watching, you know, World Cup or you're watching Premier League. I mean, you go through it all. There's the, you know, the hope, the disappointment, the anger, the oh, what an injustice. You know, what do you mean a yellow card? Whatever it is. I mean, we go through it all in the course of these. And um so many of the lessons are there for us to take into life from this. So anyway, I, I, as much as I love Danny, you know, galloping, great word, boss, the way he said that had a lot of wisdom in it for the one who's childlike. Yeah. And things don't always go your way. I mean, and that's, that's right. how it works in football. This, this past weekend, I lost to coach Bishop in a fantasy football game. <laughs> and um, I wasn't going to bring it up, but um I hate him. <laughs> I ju- I jumped out to an early lead, and then he came crushing back, just like surged Sunday night, and I had to make a judgment call, like a coaching decision, like am I going to play the player now or am I going to hope for a game on Tuesday that may not happen? I'm like, oh, I got to make a call, and I made the wrong call, and coach coach walked away with it, well, folks. just just doffed his cap. Took the W, like right out of my pocket. Just took a W right out of my pocket and walked home with well, it. And um, yeah, look, football is like. Look, this is how it is. I mean, sometimes your football, your fancy football team can score fewer points and you can win. Sometimes mm-hmm, your fancy mm-hmm. football team could score more points and you lose. But I definitely won this weekend. I definitely won I, this weekend. I like so much that you guys are coming at this from a perspective of like, games are these mini snapshots of your life. And so that's what you respond to them. Like, you know, that it has all the drama and the intrigue and the humor that life does. I thought of it as football is life and sometimes life fucks you up. And so Mm. like football is life and sometimes things don't work out the way that you want them to in life. And that's what's happening here with football. Football is life. Very much so. So, the song by Harmony Hale, uh, uh, Harmony Hale, sorry, by Vampire Weekend starts to play. Ted walks out to the locker room. God, they've had so many ups and downs. <laughs> These poor guys. As the whole team watches, he takes down Jamie's jersey from Jamie's locker, and we roll credits. Oof. Yep. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like a death in the family. I mean, we had just watched them. You just watch this beautiful scene of them. Uh, so yeah, it was it, that was a that was a rough one. Even yeah. Isaac puts his hands up like it's. I I took that as like what's going on. Like it's so recent, it's so immediate. Like not everybody in the locker room even knows yet exactly what just happened. Yeah, it, it definitely seemed. It, I mean, I was surprisingly sad for a character who I have not cared about until earlier in this episode. Um, it, it, so I could definitely feel how they had built built that people would be so disappointed and sad and surprised by that. Um, one of the things that jumped out to me is that the line in Harmony Hall that I think Vampire Weekend has reused a few times is, I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die, which sounds really super depressing, but is somehow up against usually a more upbeat tune that Vampire Weekend likes to use. Um, and I think it was, it, you know, sort of speaking to the difficulties of making changes that actually impact the way that you're living and how difficult that is for most people to talk about, let alone actually enact. 
Uh, boss, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Uh, I am at dumbly underscore chambers on Twitter. What about you, Coach? Not that anyone would, but if someone <laughs> if you're looking if you're looking to troll somebody, a, yeah, wanted to, yeah, if you want to, someone has like some some uh, mezcal to throw into the curse fire. <laughs> where would they find you? Uh, Twitter at og bishop, uh, Instagram at bk two la. That's Brooklyn to Los Angeles. So at bk the letter to la. And you can find me at Lord Castleton on Twitter. Um, this has been a, a, uh, this has been a, this has been something. And we are, we have three episodes left. A lot of good stuff coming down the pike. If you have enjoyed this, like and subscribe, please write us a review. I'm going to stop you. And Coach, I'm going to stop you. You want to do that again? We have four episodes left. That's, oh. we just did six. Awesome. I am at Lord Castleton <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> um, so that's it. We're through episode six, four episodes left. Oof, every episode just gets harder and harder. I thought this was going to, I thought we'd get through this episode six in like, you know, like 45 minutes or so. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I'm sure they're not going to, Yeah, it's basically going to be, you know, <laughs> I think episode 10 will be four and oh. a half hours <laughs> cracking, the, hey, cracking the egg. So. Let, let's put a ribbon on this. It's going to be like the Harry Potter books. First one, an easy 185 pages. Last one, 7,000. Yes, that's right. That's where we're going. That, you know, we're forced into this. Exactly. So it's basically, um, if you've enjoyed this, like, subscribe, and and leave us a review. It all helps. And until next time, we are Richmond till we die. Thanks for listening. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.